Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is a regularly scheduled meeting of your Canton Zoning Board of Appeals. Tonight being January 12th, 2023. Happy New Year, this first meeting of our year. Uh, it is 6 p.m. and we are in the Sala meeting room on the second floor of the Canton Town Hall. Uh, in attendance tonight from my right, Barbara St. Andre, alternate member, uh, Mr. J.R. McCourt, a regular member, to my left, far left, Tamara Stock, our administrative assistant. Immediate uh, left is Michael Corey, a regular member, and my name is Greg Pando, the chairman. And tonight we have one scheduled hearing, one informal, and two continuations to be taken up. So I will call the first scheduled hearing, that of E.M. Duggan, Inc., On petition of E.M. Duggan, Inc., 11 Peonies, LLC, modification of site plan approval, special permit and or variance if necessary are requested on the applicable provisions of the Canton Zoning Bylaws to construct an eight-foot concrete retaining wall located one foot from the property line to provide additional outside storage area in a limited industrial district located at 136 Will Drive, Canton, Massachusetts, map 57, lot 28. Public hearing will be held on Thursday, January 12th, 2023 at 6 p.m. in the Sala Meeting Room, 2nd Floor Memorial Hall, um, 801 Washington Street, uh, Canton, Mass. This is the time and place. Uh, I have in my possession an application received by the Board of Appeals on November 22nd, 2022. I also have a certified list of abutters that was prepared by the Canton Board of Assessors indicating that all those entitled to notice under the applicable provisions of Mass General Laws Chapter 40A have been so duly notified. Uh, good evening. Good evening, folks. Uh, my name is Paul Brogner, um, for the record. Uh, I'm here this evening representing E.M. Duggan uh, and a, a property that they own at uh, 136 Will Drive. Uh, it is known as one uh, it is numbered 136. Uh, this whole area here that is tanned is the actual existing building. It's surrounded by pavement, mostly parking at the periphery. Uh, our proposal is to add outdoor storage off the southerly end of that building, right in this vicinity here. And that will parallel their side property line uh, along this axis. They own both sides of the property. They own 136, 140, and 142 wheel drive their adjoining lots. Uh, so we're able to put this wall right along the property line, and that's important to them because they need the storage so desperately out there. Uh, so this area is about 95 feet long, and it varies in width between 15 feet at the, on the street side uh, to about uh, 20 feet on the rear side. Um, currently, there's a slope shoulder area in here that's mostly vegetated with weeds and uh, brush. Uh, our proposal is to remove that material uh, and support the, uh, the soil at the property line uh, with a new retaining wall. Uh, the slope is about three and a half feet high at, this, at the street side. That's about six and a half feet high uh, on the back side. Uh, that means we need a wall that's going to be about uh, four and a half feet high and eight feet high at the backside. And the reason for that height is because the adjoining property has a parking lot that runs right along uh, the edge of the property line also. 
to avoid anyone driving accidentally over the wall onto the joint, joining property, we're going to have an 18-inch concrete reveal at the top of that wall. So the wall would only have to be six feet high here if it were not for that prevented, uh, uh, preventative measure that we're taking. Um, so we're going to put that put the wall in at eight feet high. We're requesting relief. It's only eight feet at the back edge. Uh, the front edge up in, in here is only four and a half feet high. So it's only that point there that's high. All of that wall is exposed to this side, to this building, not to this side. These folks over here are only seeing a foot and a half of wall that reveals upward and acts as a guardrail. So that's all that they're seeing of it. Um, this is the space that we need. Uh, we're also at the because we're coming before you with this request, we're also uh, asking to permit another small area to the back here for outdoor storage. It's currently a, s a small wall and some storage in there. We're doubling that area to 214 square feet. It's still a relatively small area with a five-foot wall. Uh, they're not going to build that uh, this year, but they'd like it to be permitted for a future use. Uh, so right now, you've got this wall with the guardrail of fender at the top, and on that we'll be putting a, a pedestrian fence in for fall protection uh, to protect the folks from this in this parking lot. Um, and that's basically it. All right, uh, Mr. Broadmerkel, are you looking uh, at this as a minor modification or are you planning to uh, go to uh, planning board? We would like to see a minor modification for this. Uh, we don't see anything here that uh, rises to the level of a of a, a planning board review. Oh, thank you. Um, so before we get into the merits, um, uh, uh, first of all, I'd like to point out that Mr. McCourt, uh, Mr. Corey, and myself are the three members that are going to sit on this, that are sitting on this hearing. Um, I would uh, suggest to our board that uh, the uh, amount of um, additional paving considered uh, by this retaining wall is, is very minor. Um, it doesn't affect the drainage calculations at all. The adjacent property is the property of the owner. Um, I, I would consider this uh, doesn't affect the number of parking spaces or traffic and, and uh, at least my opinion at this point is that it's a minor modification. Um, uh, Mr. McCourt, your thoughts? With the um, retaining wall there and the mysterious, are they going to still have uh, access route to around the corner for that? How much space between the material and that corner of the building? Uh, 18 feet. 18 feet. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah, I have no problem with this being minor modification. Uh, Mr. Corey? Uh, I have no problem with it being minor All right, I entertain a motion to consider this a minor modification, Mr. McCourt. Mr. Chairman, on a petition of E.M. Duggan, 136 Will Drive, I make a motion that we consider it a minor modification. Motion has been seconded. made and seconded to consider a minor modification. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 aye unanimous 3-0. Speaking on the merits, um, I notice that you have to jog around the utility poles because it's uh, easier to jog around that than spend two years trying to get the utility company to it's a lot quicker relocate um, <laughs> we thought we would we would just give up on that space but it's worth jogging around it because they do need the storage such a such a shame you should just take a buzz saw and cut the poles <laughs> down and they'd be replaced or have one of those automobiles accidentally knock it over 
Um, is just basically a, uh, a plain wall, just a plain poured wall. It's a reinforced concrete wall, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, we're 12, not, 12 we don't, wide. it's uh, not, I don't think we have to get involved in, in the concept of uh, pattern or, or uh, performance standards uh, since this is in the middle of an industrial district. Yeah, uh, this is the same thing we did on 142 last yeah. year. They did uh, the same thing, 12 inch wall, spread footing, standard construction. This is only exceeding the seven foot for about what, 10 feet? It's going to eight feet high. Eight, seven, no, seven, eight feet in the back end, but it goes down to four feet, you said, right? Uh, to the front here, it's only four and a half feet yeah, high. Yeah, so you're only having eight feet of exposure, eight feet of wall for only a certain distance. Yeah, right, just right, just yeah. right in here. Oh, so small. Uh, the only thing I'd suggest too is you, you probably need a uh, fencing on the top that's lar large, larger than a 42 inch. Uh, Right. Drop to the adjacent surface. Right. We're showing that on the details of pedestrian. Oh, okay. Wall protection. I should have unfolded the entire uh, plan. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Corey. Uh, I just, Mr. Broadmerkel, just to reiterate, the while the wall may be eight feet um, for an eight-foot run uh, uh, on one section, it is consistently one and a half feet high on the parking lot for the side, neighbor. yes. And it's there for safety it purposes. It serves as a guardrail. I, I, I see no reason why this, this is a good idea, so. All right. Is there anyone <coughs> in the hall that wishes to speak with respect to this petition? Seeing none, Mr. McCourt, I would entertain a motion uh, for this uh, modification to site plan. Mr. Chairman, on petition of E.M. Duggan, 135 Will Drive, I make a motion that we approve the modification to the site plan as presented by site design professionals. Uh, dated November 15, 2022 is my plan has on it, uh, denoting the changes of the site plan of the retaining wall. I also make a motion pursuant to uh, section 4.3.2 of the height for the wall that I, we grant a variance uh, so that the wall will exceed the seven feet to a foot of 8.05. So moved. Seconded. Motion has been made and seconded. All those in favor, please signify by, signify by saying aye. 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 Unanimous. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you very much, Mr. Broadmerkel. Uh, we have an informal hearing on Rolling, Mill, Rolling Hills Development, LLC. Suzanne Matthews. Ms. Matthews, good evening. Good evening. Yes, Suzanne Matthews here representing um, Rolling Hills Development. Um, regarding, we have a request for a minor modification to extend the special permit that you had granted to them for a year long last April. With me, um, is Marina uh, Cappy. She is the um, principal of its Marina Film Studios, Studios Marina <clears throat> Studios. They are the ones that have been utilizing this space um, since that permit was granted. And so that um, I thought that she could give us a little bit of a, a background of basically what has happened in Canton, how it's worked, and I think the success that it's been. So basically, um, this property that's located at 980 Turnpike Street, um, you had given a permit, it's a, it's a warehouse, and we were here um, just about this time last year looking for, really wasn't, the, the issue is we want to do the film production studio there at this property. 
as a lot of our definitions in the bylaws are. Some of them are a little bit dated in things for what a warehouse could do. Um, didn't really, this didn't really exist in any one particular definition, although you had given out permits to other areas up in 138. And so what the determination was that you would give it a try and you gave a permit for one year, which is going to expire, um, I believe, in April, early April of um, 2023. And so the studio has been working successfully. They're hoping to start a new production, I think, at the end of this month, and that probably will not be finished. Um, by the end of, uh, by the time this permit would expand, so they were looking for first an expansion for another year, and we have also filed a new formal petition to now, um, for a, a modification to um, allow for a permanent use of that as a film production studio. So we're hoping this is a stopgap, but I think it would be helpful if you want to just explain a little bit of what you've been doing and the success, and one other thing, um, and she can address it, but we'll also, they're in the process of gathering letters from other, some businesses in the area of which they've been beneficial to. Um, they've been involved with Blue Hill Regional um, High School, that they've donated some lumber and things from the film productions that they've used. Um, their cast members have been patrons of Trillium and Northern Spy and the hotel in the area, and so that it really has been something that I believe has gone without incident. I don't believe there's been any problems or any complaints, and it really has benefited some of the business in the area. So do you want to just? Hi, good evening, how are you? Thank you. I'm Marina, Marina Studios. So um, we started when we opened, um, after I finished filming in Quincy, the new Whitney Houston film, I Wanna Dance With Somebody. We started the collaboration, which is a Warhol Boscott film with Paul Bettany and Jeremy Pope. And then I went on to film the new Liam Neeson film, um, Thug which is his last Thug movie. <laughs> um, and I'm about to start a new Netflix series uh, for six months in the Canton studio. So it's my hope that, you know, we, we patron all of the, uh, the whole community and Canton's been really good to us. And when we have 300 people a day working, um, you know, it benefits everyone around. So I appreciate your consideration. Great, uh, excellent. I haven't heard a peep out of that area of town and it's uh, been nice and quiet for the past year. No searchlights, no bombs going off, <laughs> <laughs> and people falling out of the sky or anything. So uh, I am hesitant to, to uh, recommend a, a full another year, Ms. Matthews. I, you know, temporaries are temporary. Uh, when do you think uh, you could prepare a, an application for? Uh, oh, we've done it, and we're scheduled for February 9th. It's, it's already been submitted? C correct. Okay, so you're you're coming up for uh, you're coming up for a hearing. Yes, uh, that hasn't been scheduled yet, has it? Yes, February 9th. February 9th. I was just hoping, though, that you know, whenever they have a decision, I don't know how long this project that you're going to start now will six be going months. for six months. So there'll be. Yeah, I could see we will give you an overlap of six months to to, uh, I would think, make sense. I, I, I don't want to stretch it out. If they're going to be in here next month for a permanent decision to allow the use of, of the property as a um, film production studio, uh, that'll settle it once and for all. So I don't want to extend the temporary out way too long. Um, matter of fact, we could probably not give the extension and make it work, but I would that's so. cutting it a little tight. Um, your thoughts, Mr. McCourt? I agree. I think it's a, it's a great outfit up there. I've heard you know nothing bad about it at all. 
and uh, it does utilize the facilities well, and uh, they've been a good tenant. So I uh, have no problem with the extension, and I look forward to the next hearing. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mr. Corey. I'm fine with uh, this request. Um, if you remember, uh, the interior scenes of Mystic River were filmed uh, on 138, um, and Clint Eastwood has raised uh, awareness of, among other things, the Ponce Cafe uh, <laughs> around the world, um, talking about the uh, chowder that uh, Mary Titus used to make. I am fully supportive of the request. Well, there you go. I have to take your word for it. I don't go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> you just drive to the even, park. Even in 20, 2003 or something? Yeah, maybe in the 80s. Maybe you can maybe catch on to the maybe Netflix the production. Let's go after this. <laughs> uh, so, uh, even though this is an informal hearing and wasn't advertised to anyone in the hall which to comment uh, with respect to this petition. <coughs> uh, seeing none, uh, Mr. McCord, I'd entertain a motion. Mr. Chairman, I make a motion. Uh, do you want to do the six months? Is yeah, that what you want to do? Let's do six. Okay. I, I, I want to try to okay. stop doing temporaries. Right. Mr. Chairman, on petition of Rolling Hills Development LLC, 980 Turnpike Development Trust, 980 Turnpike Street, Canton, I make a motion that we extend the special uh, temporary permit uh, for six months. Um, so moved. Seconded. Motion has been made and seconded. All those in favor? Please signify by saying aye. 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 Uh, I just want to make note that uh, officially the, the date of uh, six months was the original will be one year was March 10th. So it would be um, an extension. We're going to do an extension from the March 10th expiration date for six months. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm going to stay here if that's okay. Okay. Jonathan and Kimberly Rodriguez is the first continuation. And I'm going to see. Ms. St. Andre, did, uh, I, of these last two you sat on? Uh, this one. This one. This one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was you and Mr. McCord. And myself. Got to keep the players straight. <clears throat> All right, uh, this continuation of hearing uh, from December 1st. And uh, again, the members uh, sitting on this were uh, Ms. St. Andre, Mr. McCourt, myself. And this was uh, for the uh, Rodriguez looking to um, a special permit for reestablishment re of a pre existing non conforming use. Hi, Ms. Matthews. Let's hope all the night goes as smoothly as the this is, uh, this is uh, the Matthews evening. Yes, exactly. Um, anyway, I'm here tonight with um, Jonathan and Kim Rodriguez, and they were here before you. I think the last time I was here um, on their own, and there's a little bit of a difficulty in understanding, I think, what they needed to prevail and what the status of the property was and the situation. So I'm glad to be able to help them out in here. And it's really simple and complicated at the same time. I don't know if you had a chance to review my memorandum that I provided to you. Um, I have gone by the property myself. I 
went and did with their help, we did the street listing reviews and it has been a, at least by street listings um, for the Canton Public Library since 1939. There have been a couple times in and out. I mean, you, the easier way to determine this is when you have people with different names and um, you can, I guess, make somewhat of an assumption that that is two different families and that's what it was used for. Over all these years, the town of Canton has um, had it, I don't know how many years, but for a good period of the time, assessed as a two-family home and has listed that on the property card as a two-family home. The prior owners went as far as in, um, I believe it was 1987. You can see at the um, building permit, or the town card that shows the building permits that they had done some renovations. They weren't transforming it into a two-family that time. It already had been, you can tell from the street listings, but they were putting in a new kitchen stairway and other matters. They even went after that and um, transferred these two as two condominiums as unit one and unit two. And those, a plan and deeds, the master deed are located, are recorded at the Norfolk Registry of Deeds. I have no idea why, but about seven or eight years after that, they took it out of the condominium law, the protection of the condominium law. But again, when you look at the street listings, they continued to rent it out and to use it as a two-family dwelling. Um, what occurred is that, um, Sometime, and there's been, you know, statements, and there's a, there's a letter in there for, um, from the uh, building commissioner about it being, appearing to be a single family at this time. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when they were buying the property, <coughs> MLS listing was a two-family property. When they had saw their purchase and sale agreement and the mortgage contingency provision in that said provided they're getting funding by a two, for the two-family home. When they went to actually finance it to get approved by the bank, the bank wanted to ensure that it was um, that status. And they did what they thought was appropriate and went to Ed Walsh and said, you know, we, you know can you determine that it is? And um, I believe Mr. Walsh said to him, yes, but I need to look. And he said to them, you know, whatever I go there and I see, that's what it is. And they said, fine, you know, we're not looking to hide anything. This is what, so we went in and a stairway had been removed an interior stairway and where a door is, if I correctly, the door had been taken out and made it look like an opening. Um, still maintained all separate utilities and all of those kind of things. And so um, now they're here to reestablish that it is a pre-existing non-conforming property. Um, now the question is, and I, I believe and I listened to it with them, I had been here at the hearing but hadn't paid as much attention when it wasn't my client, but a lot of discussion was what were the building permits? And the building, had it ever been, no building permits were taken out after, um, to reestablish this or to change this for a, to a single family house. The last building, and I have the property card there. Um, let's see what that is. Um, and that will show, um, let me see the year. Exhibit B, I believe, that the last um, building permit that was given to them was on November 25th, 2019, and that says replace two patio doors and says that no structural changes had been made. A similar um, permit was granted in 2018, says replace 13 windows, and again says no structural changes. Um, so that, assuming, and it appeared, and I'm not, I know that 
uh, it's not exactly what, there was some discussion at that meeting that it had never, it, it was not officially put it back into a single family, therefore it is still a pre-existing. The question is, um, it was on the, whether or not there was a two year lapse on that and part of the issue was it was on the market for quite some time before it could be sold. But if you do look at the street listings and you look at, at what's going on, even up to 2022, it listed different family members. They listed, some listed different family members and then there was a new family that was brought into there. So that what we're really looking is for the board, the first choice would be for the board to reestablish this as a pre-existing non-conforming property. Now, other options, um, obviously not the top options for, for um, my clients because they bought it thinking it was a pre-existing two family. I know that, you know, buyer beware. Uh, but there was a lot of recorded information that I think was reasonable for them to rely on. The next pr proposition would be um, a par portion of our bylaw that would um, allow you to convert a pre-existing non-conforming, I mean a, a house built single family before 1987, whatever the year is, into a two family. Problem for them with that bylaw is that they are in a now, it has changed over these, a double A district. And so it is a 45,000 square foot piece of property and they would need a variance or some relief from that section of the bylaw that says you need 25% more. Um, whether that's, you know, an unusual and un, uh, request, when you really look at it, these are all, this property, and I actually went by it, I don't know if anyone else got a chance to look at it, where you see it is, where it is, I didn't know Washington Street went that far, I think on the Google Maps it calls it Canton Ave, but it's right across the street from Blue Hill Ski Area and Blue Hill Ski Area parking lot. It's not a typical residential area where driveways are going in and out in that area. But in any event, when you look at the size of their building and what the size of their property is, they only have a 6% coverage. 6% coverage when I believe it's, I don't recall, it's either 20 or 25% coverage you can have in that area. What's important to note, they have no intention and not requesting any relief to make any exterior enlargements or any exterior changes to this property. It is only going to be to make the, to reestablish the interior of what they had at that point. Um, the other issue is I know, and I believe there's about us, and they'll be speaking for themselves that were here before, that talk about, um, and I viewed it as somewhat vague as to what their real position was on it, but they were referring to as, you know, it's gonna, would it bring down the um, value of their home and that they were right next door. Well, the last page that I provided to you, um, I think shows a little bit better if you can look at it, really what we're talking about. Uh, it's a Google map and if you look, um, Kent Nav 138, which is what we're referring to as Washington Street, the red mark is um, the Rodriguez home. So you can see there that there's not in that area a, a lot of other residences going there. The abutters, I believe, are the ones that are right up to the um, top sort of right of that property. And th these abutters, although they have their rights to be concerned about, don't even access their property from uh, Canton Avenue, Washington Street. That's their backyard. They have a long driveway that goes out through onto Green Street. So most of the other AA district homes that are in that area are those homes that are on Green Street, not on Washington Street or Canton Avenue. Um, and it's also, and my memo goes through some case law and the things that you would consider and what's sort of the normal of that neighborhood. It's really not, we have, Blue Hills Cross, which is a great place, but it's a parking lot. 
um, that gets a lot of use down the street, not that far as the business area with, I don't know what the restaurant is, I'll have to tell you where Howard Johnson's is uh, or was and a Dunkin' Donuts and those kind of things in the highway. So either way you slice it, it really, I don't think, is going to put any adverse effect to the neighborhood. Um, now the third uh, option, and I know that uh, the uh, chairman was talking about that, is having an accessory apartment. Problem with that is this has already been separated out with separate utilities. It's like a townhouse, side by side. And you can only have 30%. If you look at it, and it's focused in my memorandum in the information attached when they did make them into condominiums, and it's pretty much the exact same layout as that point, they're pretty close to 50-50. So that they would have to do a tremendous amount of work and change in order to make this an accessory apartment and still comply with that bylaw. Um, it would also, if they had to do it then instead, up and down, then they would have to change the utilities and those kind of things. So obviously the um, best resolution for the owners of the property would have the reinstatement of the pre-existing um, non-conforming uh, two-family home. I think that there are uh, facts that can support a board's decision based upon that, and I don't think that it's something that is really going to have any adverse effect whatsoever on the neighborhood. It is the same look on the outside. There's no exterior stairs, and there'd be no changes to that property. Thank you, Ms. Matthews. It's uh, certainly have sympathy for the uh, for the homeowners, but we have two two statements of fact that we're faced with. Um, one is that of our um, zoning enforcement officer and building commissioner who states that on um, in 2022, where is he, September 28th, he accessed the building and, and on September 28th of 22, it was his uh, opinion that it is single family home based on his interpretation of the code. So we're faced with a, it being a single family home um, on September of 2022. The other statement of fact that we have is from the Board of Assessors indicating that they, the last time they had physical access to examine the, the house was in 2009, at which point it was a two-family house in 2009. So somewhere between those two facts, 2009 and 2022, it became, it was converted without a permit for the conversion to a single family home. So the burden of proof here is, from my standpoint, and I'm, I have some people over here are a lot smarter than I am on this board that uh, may have opinions, that um, the burden of proof is to, to prove to show that less than two years have expired, have uh, passed since it was converted from a two-family to a single-family. It hasn't been abandoned for, for two years, the two-family use. Problem with your, with your um, listings, was that from the uh, uh, registered voters? That's from, it's, it's from the street listings that are at the, at the Kenton Public Library. Okay, it's the, the annual... The and I did ask the librarian because I called thought... The, the nosy book. Yeah, whatever. Right. They have them yeah. in there, but they have them hidden okay. in the bolster room. And it was my understanding that they were registered voters, that okay. that's how that was. The problem which, is this doesn't help us because it's all the last same family name. Except for 2022. Except for 2022, it's not. 
Um, and you know, when you look at them, they're adult children, and I believe, and they have some photographs that Devin Foster and Lindsay Famer, Farmer, it should be rather than Famer, um, are a couple that were also, the, he happens to be the son of, of one of the occupied, but we all know in the history and everywhere around here, it was not uncommon to have two family homes where it was all one family that was residing in that. Sure. Um, the, the issues, and I and believe me, we put the facts out, there's no facts to hide on this particular situation. The question is, was it, was it used? You know, because they took out a doorway, doesn't mean they did, you know, and took a door and put a doorway. Or whether that, does that mean that it was you, and they had multiple people living there, used as a single family, or was it still used as a two family, maybe not with the proper building code lives up to do it, but that it wasn't. And I, and I think you could also give a variance from that section of the bylaw which says, once it's converted, because it's questionable it's converted, was it was that to that section still, um, provided the establishment of pre-existing non-conformity. Well, I think, there's, I think there are several things, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what, what my uh, uh, learned members think. I think that um, determining whether it was abandoned for two years or not is one. Um, Re-establishment or, or continuation of the pre-existing and non-conforming if it, if it was less than two years. Uh, the second is um, granting relief from the 30% on the um, accessory apartment as another possibility. I don't know how they feel about that. I just want but to correct it before we move on. I think that the, um, you can make an exception from the two years, if it's greater than two years. I believe you just said if it's less than two years. I'm sorry, yes, okay. greater than okay. I stand corrected. Um, I'm interested to, to see what my colleagues think on this. Ms. St. Andre, your thoughts. Um, so, um, the way I look at it, at one point it was definitely two families. There's no question that it was a condo, it was recorded at the registry. When I look at the list, your exhibit B, each condo on the first floor had a kitchen, and that was part of the building permit. When I look at the existing layout of the building today, there's no second kitchen. So the ki one of the kitchens has been removed and it's now a living room. And the whole first floor is open. There's no barrier. So I can understand why the building commissioner would say it's a single family home, because it certainly looks like one. And then on the second floor, it looks like they just opened up a wall to make it into one unit. So I was actually looking at section 5.6, which says a non-conforming use of structure which has been abandoned or not used for a period of two years shall lose its protected status. Provided, however, the Board of Appeals by the grant of a special permit may authorize the reestablishment of a non-conforming use of structure where such reestablishment shall not result in substantial detriment to the neighborhood. Is that what that you're referring to? Right. Yes, that's okay. what we're seeking to do. All right, I wasn't completely clear because a, there was a lot of other potential areas that you were looking I at. I didn't want to just walk in with just a no. I wanted okay. to make sure we had, okay. and, and I think that these, all these options were discussed, so we needed to address them. But that is clearly So I, I guess what you're logical. saying is that e even if we were to, to find, and I think it's a, it would be a fair finding to find that 
the non-conforming use has either been abandoned because they took out the kitchen, they took out the walls, or it hasn't been used for a period of two years. But we can still grant the special permit under that. So we don't necessarily need a variance, I guess is what I'm trying to make sure I'm straight on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then if for some reason that doesn't apply, you're saying the other option is variance under one of these other sections. Correct. Okay. So it really comes down to, I think we can use 5.6, it comes down to will it be substantial detriment to the neighborhood? And as I think you know, that standard, it's not just detriment, it's substantial detriment. So right. and I, guess, I yeah. and based upon and its you're location. You're, 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 and, you're, and that goes to all your arguments about correct. the location and so on. Okay, I, I think I have it straight. Thank you very much. Mr. McCourt. Mr. Chairman, I, I um, have been there multiple times now, three times I've been down in that area. And I didn't think I was in Canton either anymore, to be honest with you. I was <laughs> like, is this still in Canton? It is, I, I don't know if this is the last house on Turnpike Street, it's the very last house. Um, in the past, we've had similar situations with this, where it was abandoned and um, they wanted to convert it back. And I went to the past ones and to this one and I look at what it was. And just from the use of people that you gave the list to, and the Board of Assessors, it's been a two-family most of its existence, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Most of the life there, it's been a two-thing. And then I look at the, uh, the heart of the house, which is a heating system. It has two oil tanks, two oil fills on the side of the house. It has two heating systems. Those have not been changed to one for a single-family house. Has it been converted without a building permit? Yes. Is that right? No. But the abandoned use? It still has all the characteristics of that two family. It's the last house on the left. It's on a huge lot. It's a small building to the left of the lot. It's all surrounded by a fence. I mean, to convert this back or make it a two family, I don't see there's a problem in any aspect. Because in my opinion, it's been a two family most of its existence. Just the way it's laid out, just what it is. The issue at hand would be for the homeowner to consider is because it was abandoned and the use was abandoned and you want to convert it back to a two-family is what it's going to take for you to do that. I mean, because now you have to comply with the current building codes to do that. And you may find that to be very costly to get a, you know, a firewall from the slab all the way up through your roof because that will be required I don't know about the stairs that are existing now, if they will comply to the, the, the current building codes. Because of the abandoned use, you start from scratch to convert this back over. And if you look just in your basement, just that I looked, is your oil tanks are on one side of the house, your heating system is on one side, the other side of the house, and you have two hot windows. So you're going to have to reconfigure some of that stuff to do that work, and it could be um, seriously cost prohibitive to do that. By going on the accessory apartment, in granting relief on the space for the accessory part, right? Because it it would be hard to chop that. The house isn't that big anyhow. To chop it up to, to limit it to the thirty percent would be more detrimental to that. To do it, I, I think to do that you'd kind of wreck that. So I would be first of all, I think I would under Barbara under five point six we could do this go back, but. That would be costly, but I think if you went to the accessory, you wouldn't have to do that. But if you went to the accessory and then 
basically accessory says, you know, you, you get a, an accessory unit, but you're under the guidelines of a three-year re recurring thing, right? Okay, so what, what I'm hearing is that uh, one from column A is uh, five, six uh, special permit reestablish the uh, pre-existing non-conforming use. Uh, the caveat to that is, and Mr. McCourt is right, even though it's not a zoning issue, it's a mass building code 780 CMR issue, that you need a one-hour fire separation between the two units. Um, I think Mr. Walsh has discussed that with okay. them. If, if that's something that, uh, that uh, your client is, is uh, comfortable with, uh, and that, then uh, I, I have no, certainly want to hear what people have to say in the hall, but... <laughs> That would uh, would not. So those are the two. Those are the two uh, opinions that we've got right now. Is there anyone in the hall that would like to speak with respect to this petition? Yes. <coughs> I'm Brian Greenwood, and I'm Stephen Yes, Mr. Greenwood. Um, we looked at the Norfolk County Registry of Deeds um, in 1989. They did file for a condo. Uh, the owner of the house filed to have it put into condo under MGL 183. In 1994, they filed for termination of that. So the condo was terminated in 1994. At that point in time, it was sold in December as a single family residence. It was then sold again in 2003 to the Foster family as a single family residence. It was then sold again to the current owners as a single family residence. So I look at, you're looking at 5.6, I'm looking at 5.8, I would say that it's been abandoned, but 5.8 says reversion to nonconformity no non-conforming use shall, if changed to a conforming use, revert to a non-conforming use. So I am still concerned about the value of our property. I'm concerned about the change. The square footage to change it based on the uh, fact that it was built in 1910 would go from 45,000 square feet to almost 57,000 square feet. That's a big number to us. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we are. And again, I'll reiterate, I'm, I'm concerned. We are the abutters right next door. The reason that we don't have a driveway coming from the highway is because we wouldn't have been able to get a curb cut from the town. So we are a house in Canton there. That does affect our property. Is there anyone else in the hall that would like to comment with respect to this petition? All right, seeing none. Um, I'm, I'm, my opinion is tending to um, think that uh, uh, Ms. St. Andre has the simpler uh, solution by establishing by special permit the 
um, previous abandonment of the use. Um, I think that uh, providing that they meet the requirements of the building code, that certainly would be the cleanest way to do it, I think. How do you feel about that, Mr. McCourt? I don't have a problem with it. Uh, based on uh, just a comment on uh, the Avada's the, uh, comment um, on 5.8, and I can see where that would come in place, but once again, we have, other than Mr. Walsh visiting it on September, we have no ability in knowing when it was converted. No actual time date for when this might have been converted from a two-family to a single-family, or it was used as a single-family, but it still was a two-family. Somewhere they went in there and moved a kitchen and opened up the wall. But we don't know, and it happens everywhere in town. People do things without permits, I understand that. And it's not right, but the, the, the situation, we don't have a time stamp on any of it. And without that time stamp that says, okay, this was definitely single-family, I haven't seen the listing of the last listing on the MLS as a single, I haven't looked at that, I didn't. I, I came up this afternoon when I was talking to Mr. Walsh about this, and once again, I'm gonna reiterate, in the past we have done this, similar situation as a visual look on the outside of that house with two oil tanks, inside now I got the inside, two oil tanks, two water tanks, Two heating systems. It was operating at a two-family at some time, but once again, I don't have that stamp. I don't have that date, the time. If it was being for two years, ten years, fifteen years, I can't go by the petitioner's word. I can't go by the abutter's word because we don't have that. All we have is an assessor's. In a building, the building official went in there on September 28th. That's what we have as fact, and we have an assessor's report that it's still a two-family. So, as a board member myself, I can't see denying this going back. I just can't. Well, I think that the, uh, the, the concept of, of uh, the abandonment and uh, prote protected status, uh, it's clear in 5-6 that we have the authority on, by grant of a special permit. They can't revert by their own accord such as an, under section 5.8. But under section 5.6, we have the ability to issue a special permit to allow them to uh, do so. Uh, 5.8 just states that they, they just can't, uh, they can't do it on their own without uh, the board being involved. Um, so that uh, I think, I think we're, we're getting to the point that under 5.6, uh, issuance of a special permit for the uh, uh, reestablishment uh, of the a two-family use is appropriate. I think the only thing I want to add, if I could. Sure. Is, um, and I appreciate the comments um, from the abutter, but the standard under 5.6 is that we can allow it to be reestablished unless there will be substantial detriment. Mm -hmm. And I understand, you know, that uh, the, an abutter may not want to have a, a two-family reestablished, but I, I, I haven't heard any substantial detriment to the neighborhood that would result from putting this back to what it was. I think if this were, had never been a two-family, I would be a, a lot more reluctant to um, allow it a, a brand new two-family in a single-family area. But it looks as if this, as you know, uh, my colleague has stated, it looks like it's been two-family for at least quite a period of time. 
I will say I was surprised that it did go back that far. Mm. When, when we looked, that's the first street listing book available at the library since 1939. And so I just, I just don't see any substantial detriment, so I don't have any. Right. I'm not saying that it's Thank ideal. You. It's unfortunate, the whole string of events. But. Thank you. All right, uh, Mr. McCourt, um, I think 5.6 is the way to go. If, uh, this would be incorporating a variance for the, um, the lot space. No, we don't need that they, if it's on that need, section. No, that no, would only be if okay, it was going to be. Fine. All they need is a special permit to reestablish the use. Uh, Mr. Uh, Chairman? Yes, sir. On petition of Jonathan and Kimberly Rodriguez, 3096 Washington Street, I make a motion on the 5.6 that we reestablish the use as a two family. So moved. Motion has been made. And seconded. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Unanimous. Thank you very much. Matthews, if you would be so kind as to uh, offer a draft for our consideration. Correct. Thank you. Now I'm not going. I just have to flick all over the table. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have yeah, a lecture yeah. for you. This is I this whole. This is this whole that we can lean on more. Uh, you are, you have fulfilled your obligations. Uh, thank you so much for your input. This is a continuation of the Vertex Tower Assets LLC Canton Fish and Game Association, Inc. 25 Nasser Ahmed Road. Hearing uh, from uh, December 1st. Uh, just so that um, I know there's a lot of interest in this hearing, and just so that we understand how we're going to do this. Um, I'm going to uh, ask members of the board for their initial comments. I'm going to refer to the applicant's uh, counsel. And uh, all right, I'm going to wait till everybody comes in before I start. All right, do we have all interested parties in the hall? Okay, uh, good evening. So the continuation of the hearing, the, the, the rules of conduct are, we're going to uh, ask members of the board for their initial comments. Uh, we're going to then uh, go to counsel for the applicant uh, for his comments. Uh, the board may ask further questions of the applicant. Uh, we are then going to uh, ask for comments from uh, abutters and interested persons 
First person we will hear from is uh, Attorney Matthews, who's representing uh, some or, or of the uh, interested parties in the butters. Um, rules of the road, uh, you uh, approach the microphone, state your name and address. Uh, if you have questions, you ask them through the chair. The chair will ask the applicant and the applicant's attorney they, they will respond to us, we will, I will respond and give you your answers. There will be no finger pointing, there will be no direct uh, discussions between uh, the various parties. We will not gnash our teeth and wail and, and uh, jump up and down because we are all civilized human beings and that's how we're going to conduct things this evening. Uh, Mr. McCourt, any initial yes, comments? Yes, Chairman, I do. Um, in the last two days, I received all kinds of literature on cell towers. We have a ton of stuff that we just got yesterday to look over. That's the first thing I want to say. In spending time in the last two days looking over this, uh, a lot of the opposition um, from the abutters has to do with radio waves, interference, and health and safety issues. Um, the first thing that I came across was the Telecommunication Act, FCC Act of 1996, and basically it says that we cannot, as a, we cannot deny this based on radio frequencies, unless I hear otherwise that we can go against the federal government's law in another amendment or whatever. That's what it says in this, and I have a copy of it right here. I also, in a lot of these letters that we received, we talked about um, hardship or cancer, radio waves, interrupting sleep, the whole nine yards. And I have a letter I got received, I looked up the American Cancer Society, they, even though I think there's 35,000 scientific studies that says there's an issue with cell towers, the American Cancer Society doesn't have a stand on it as of today, um, unless somebody else. The World Health Organization doesn't have a say on it either. They don't want to make a thing just on radio frequencies. Now, I also have something that I'd ask the petitioner about is that um, some of this lit literature that we have is from other states, other areas have cell towers. About fires, there seems to be a little bit of start talk about fires in this. and. Uh, over the country that caused a lot of issues and problems. I haven't heard any in Massachusetts. I couldn't find any in Massachusetts. Also, I looked in the current cell towers that we have in town that are listed on the website of towers that are listed in Canton. And uh, I actually took a picture of one that's within 200 feet of a house on Lincoln Street. However, it's on industrial property. That's one of my key statements. I had a conversation with our building commissioner today asking where these cell towers are and how many are on industrial, how many are on things. And I said there are some on private lands. There's one at Blue Hills Country Club right off of Dedham Street, which is right near my house. It's, it's on the country club. The question I had was when was that decision made? When did they decide that you could put it on that land? I don't know. I couldn't get that answer right away. I'd like to look into it. Well, I can give you that answer because I sat on that yeah. case. Was that this bylaw 
that we have in place right now that says we cannot, under use, put this cell tower on a residential property, how can that happen if this law was in effect? We issued them a variance. A variance to do that? Yep. Okay. So with that said, the cell towers that we have in Canton, and there's quite a few of them, they're scattered all about the community. The cell tower that's at Blue Hills is within, I think, 300 feet from a house. You know, so the health risk is an issue, and I understand that, but I'm not seeing, other than this book, which I haven't looked at it, and other than um, the concerns of the petitioner with an easement, which we really don't have any jurisdiction on the easement. If they can't get in the property, that's a, a civil issue, I believe, rather than a zoning issue. But I, we've talked about easements before because they were using an easement, you know, but they'd have to go through this. But I saw some, uh, there was a lawyer's talking about that easement today, which is good. I just got that yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff I'd like to look over. And I would really, really, like Mr. Corey said the last meeting, before we go into the variance aspect, to consult with town council, because from what I'm seeing, and what I'm seeing in, uh, there was a case in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, a few cases that the abutters were against it and the town voted it down, said no. Said that the board said, no, we don't want to do this. And it came back, the towns actually spent thousands of dollars of litigation and they lost. So I would like to get a valued opinion from our town council before we go and subject the town to a lawsuit that you know, would be concerning to me to have the town go through a big lawsuit and if our town council says, well, you don't have a thing. But I do have, uh, the last thing I wanna say on this is whenever we have petitioners come in here and wanna do something, and when we see a crowd like this in, our, in, in, in the audience, we always try to say, hey, the petitioner, well, you gotta try to make people happy. We gotta get together here. And I'm not seeing that. I don't know if it's tried or it's been <laughs> happening between the two parties, but I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing a disgruntled neighborhood that's going to be directly affected. And the final last thing is uh, one of the topics was is there another location in that area that you could possibly be put in and whatever. This is in the middle of the woods. Uh, it's going to go up 120 feet, right? 36 meters, I believe that's what it was listed on. Um, about the fires I got a concern with, because the towers that I've seen are out in the open. You know, there's not a lot of stuff, even the one at Blue Hills Country Club, it's not a lot of stuff. But they're gonna clear this area, I'm assuming that there'll be a buffer zone between that and the forest. With that said, there is a safety issue, and right down the street, or right probably, if you look at the top, of, is Rite Aid, which is an industrial area, which is there. I don't know why I couldn't go in their backyard, or they wouldn't, it, it, it just seems like you could put it down the street, over to the right, and no one's gonna complain about it. That's just my look at the map. And I went on the assessor, I went on the map of Sharon, I went on there on the road, and I says, well, you know, you got a lot of turmoil here if you move it a half a mile or a mile down here and behind Rite Aid, if they'd let you put it there, and that building's empty, it just seems like there could be another location. The tower might be, have to be a little higher, but it seems like it'd be less away from the you know, houses 
in whatever. So there's a, there's, there seems like to be, and one of, the, one of the things in our bylaw says, is there another place for this? But the petitioner might say, no, there isn't, because of certain things. And then I went up there with my cell phone. And I got service everywhere I went in Sharon. And so I'm like, other than the 5G, which is faster, which creates more fast stuff for people's home, you know, for the cell, but I got service. So the need, um, that was a concerning factor for me, was the need. If I went, uh, I went up to you know, Crescent Ridge, I went down the center, I went down the neighborhood, and I, I made phone calls. So it's like, okay, where is this need? And I mean, I, if I, somebody said where we need it in Canton, it's front of the police station. You go right through that intersection, you got no cell service. But that's just my observance right now. That's all I have to say in the beginning. But there's a lot of material here that we have to jerk out. Thank you very much. Before I, I uh, uh, ask Mr. Corey for his comments, I'd, I'd like to um, I'll bring up a couple of issues that, um, yes, we have, there are probably four or five towers that are in residential districts in Canton that we've issued permits for. Um, one at the Blue Hill Country Club that uh, with a Pecunit Street address, even though it's at the head of Cedar Crest. Uh, Unitarian Church on Washington Street has cell tower in it. Uh, the Ponkapog uh, um, uh, School has a cell tower in it. Uh, Blue Hills Regional School, it's also a residential district, has cell tower. Uh, water tower on Indian Lane at the, uh, for the town of Canton is a residential district, has a cell tower. So that there are, at, at least to my knowledge, uh, four or five uh, variances that have been granted or permits have been granted for uh, towers in residential districts. I mean, the technology changes, the distance 30 years ago or 40 years ago when that bylaw was written, uh, um, radio waves were longer, lower, and traveled further distances and get better coverage, uh, but they were slower. The new technologies, the 4G, 5G, smaller, higher frequency, better transmission, but they need better, more density than, than they had in the past. So the technology is, is pushing it. Um, there uh, was a previous uh, decision by Singular uh, on this site uh, that was approved in the 90s uh, prior to my getting on the board. And I, I, I need to dig that decision out it had expired or was never filed or they, they decided to uh, move into the uh, transmission lines instead um, at that point. But this was, isn't the first uh, tower that was uh, requested to be permitted on the site. So, and I just, just found that out this evening. I, I have no, not an awful lot of background knowledge on it. But anyway, I pass that on to you, Mr. Corey. Um, Mr. Chair, in terms of, and, and if you aren't certain, that's fine. Sure. But in terms of those other cell towers established, were there use variances granted as well? Wow, okay. All right, well, I, you know, and I, I'm speaking not just as a, uh, a member of this board, but as a lawyer who does a lot of uh, zoning work uh, myself. Um, you know, the, the, the standard under the um, zoning bylaw, zoning statute, um, says that literally you have to find for a variance, literal enforcement would work a substantial hardship 
to the petitioner. And in my view, I've always read that as meaning a hardship um, on the owner of the real estate in terms of no other option being available. Not um, essentially that they couldn't do any, the owner of this property couldn't do anything else with this property. Um, what we've been presented with here and in one other situation I think is a, um, since I've been on this board, is a hardship by someone who would propose to use the property. What, what the petitioner here is arguing that the hardship is with the, um, uh, is with the uh, wireless company in terms of um, finding a place to augment uh, transmission, not a hardship on the owner in terms of use. There's no argument that uh, a residential use of that property can be made. There may be hardship based on topography or whatever, but there isn't an argument in this application. Um, also, um, the standard requires a finding of no substantial detriment to the public good. Uh, and generally, whether it's dimensional or use variances, um, if there's a ton of opposition, it's kind of per se <laughs> uh, a detriment to the public good exists. Um, however, what we're faced with is a 1996 Telecommunications Act, which is really kind of out outdated um, given the development of technology. Um, and uh, there's, we received 20 to 30 objections. A lot of them were conclusory, um, saying it's, it's a detriment to, the, to health and it'll, there'll be all kinds of horrors imposed. Uh, but there were a number of things that were presented to us including this report commissioned by the, uh, by the legislature in New Hampshire saying that there are real concerns. So I am, I am concerned that there is, if, if you know, even a portion of the, uh, of the uh, issues um, that are being uh, raised in these objections are real or potentially real, that there is a real danger to the public good. That being said, we've got this preemption issue with the uh, Communications Act, Telecommunications Act, federal. Now that um, petitioner cited uh, a one case, a federal district court case in Massachusetts, Nextel versus Whalen, that said that uh, the need for better wireless transmission to fill an existing gap constitutes a unique circumstance where a variance is uh, permitted. So, you know, my thinking may be off. That's why I had said earlier, and not. Had, had not had the chance to think through, but that I would like town council to weigh in on that, both on, uh, particularly with regard to um, uh, the ability of the applicant to seek a variance based not on the use of the property, but on the applicant, the non-owner applicant's um, desire to use it because it's the best site for that particular use. Um, also on the preemption issue. Um, but my other concern is here that there isn't, I'd like some evidence that there aren't other options available. It's kind of conclusory in the, in the application that this is the best place to put it. Uh, and I'd like to find out if, there, if you moved it away from these homes, 
whether it would be a better, whether this could be a safer, um, a safer, um, a safer condition. Because, as Mr. McCord said, I've I have been living in Canton since 1992. I travel back and forth through Cobb's Corner. I've never had a cell uh, cell transmission problem. Uh, I've never lost a call. Um, it, it's not been a problem. And I'm concerned that this isn't a question of, um, you know, um, accessibility or improvement in transmission, but just a money grab. And that I do not want to grant this on that basis unless there's a real finding that this is the best or only place to improve um, uh, cell phone accessibility that in my view, and I'm, I'm just a user who's been here for 25 years, 30 years, um, has never seen a problem there. So, Thank you. Counselor. Uh, good evening. Again, my name is Francis Parisi, <coughs> representing the applicant Vertex Tower Assets, LLC. With me here tonight is Tom Johnson, the civil engineer who designed the project, and also Martin Lavin, who is an independent radio frequency um, uh, engineer with C Squared, who does the radio frequency analysis for Verizon Wireless. Um, um, I had a presentation kind of planned, um, but I'm going to kind of go off the rails here and address some of the concerns that were raised here. Um, uh, only because Mr. Corey was freshest in my mind, uh, I'm going to address him first. Um, um, there, uh, I believe I provided to the zoning con uh, clerk who forwarded to you eight or ten cases involving variance requests in, um, in Massachusetts. Um, the, the standard is very clear. Um, not only do cell towers meet the requirements for the hardship under the variance standard under 40A because of that case we talked about Nextel uh, based on the topography terrain and the need for technology. It's not uh, to the landowner, it's to the, the, the telecommunications company and it's been very amply discussed in town. Uh, in addition, um, the Federal Telecommunications Act also uh, I, um, preempts that um, mass law with respect to denials. There's very specific limitations with respect to what this board can and cannot do. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and as was discussed by Mr. McCourt, uh, uh, even talking about the, 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 the health concerns are preempted by federal law. Um, uh, and the, the case law in Massachusetts is very clear. I provided case law, including some involving the town of Milton within the last several years. Um, uh, which also, uh, I had sent that to Tamara several, um, right after the last zoning board hearing. Um, so, uh, so there's ample case law in Massachusetts to support that both um, Vertex as an infrastructure developer and Verizon as a wireless carrier are entitled to, required to show the, um, the variant standards and, and they amply meet them based on the data that we've provided. Um, um, uh, so there, uh, um, yeah, and um, with respect to uh, Mr. McCourt's concerns, um, you're absolutely right, and I'd say 99%. Um, the federal government is very clear that zoning and planning and land use boards can't take into, health the, take into account the perceived health effects as long as we show 
compliance with the federal standards. And, and uh, the report that um, uh, C squared had provided, that we provided with the internet application, um, does say that, but uh, out of abundance of caution, we retained another radio frequency uh, expert, a health physicist, who has appeared in front of this board before, had provided the same report to the board with respect to the, the many other per, uh, uh, applications that Mr. Pando um, has uh, referred to. Um, and uh, it, it's just a, uh, a report this board has seen before showing that um, this facility, when it's built out at its initial phase, when Verizon co-locates on it, and as uh, contemplated in the future with multiple telecommunication companies, are well below the federal and state um, uh, radio frequency emission and exposure guidelines. So I have that report. I emailed it to uh, Tamara today, and I have it in paper for the board. Uh, uh, but it, it, it really shows, and like I said, I don't know if the board needs to read it because it's seen it at least five times before, uh, 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 showing compliance with the, uh, um, um, all of the federal and state standards. Uh, so, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over safety. It's obviously everyone's concern, um, but as um, Mr. Pando pointed out, um, there are lots of existing telecommunications facilities in Canton, many in residential neighborhoods, many in close proximity to residential neighborhoods, and if you expand it to Sharon and all of the other communities surrounding Canton, there are dozens and dozens. And the, the dilemma that we are having as an industry is it's the whole telecommunications, when we first started doing this, I've been doing this, I was in front of this board in 1998 uh, with one of the first towers on 138 uh, going down towards Stoughton. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, and that was in an industrial zone. And we built all the towers in industrial zones and we looked at your zoning bylaw, but the one thing that we never predicted is that this has morphed from a, a mobile technology to a stationary technology. And people are using their um, cell phones in their residences, in their places of business, in their schools and things like that. Uh, and the, um, the, the building itself is becoming a structural impediment to the signal. You can imagine a building like this is far more structurally um, um, intimidating to a telecommunications signal than a car, which is just glass and, and uh, nothing. So, you know, um, and as it becomes more and more of a residential technology, we have to get closer and closer to residences to um, um, provide the requisite service. And you know, uh, yeah, your cell phone might work as you drive down Main Street or Washington Street, but is it working in your basement or in your home office or in the, the basement of town hall, which is a very dense re structure, or in the schools or other commercial buildings uh, in the area? Uh, and so. You know, we're, we're struck with having to get close to the residences without having an impact on residences. Your zoning bylaw has very specific restrictions on height and setback from property lines and setback from residences. And so, you know, and, uh, um, and, and there's a whole host of other restrictions, normal restrictions, wetland restrictions and other land use restrictions. We also have to find um, willing landowners. Uh, you know, we, we lease a, a postage stamp, 50 by 50. These aren't huge money makers. I heard the term money grab. This is far from a money grab. Uh, this is, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we're leasing a very small portion of the fish and game property, uh, giving them a reasonable return for that, but it's certainly not anything they're gonna uh, uh, prosper on. Uh, 
it helps them stay alive as a fish and game association as an undeveloped piece of property. Uh, so it, it, the income is, is beneficial to them, but it's not um, you know, a huge money grab here. Um, and so we look at everything. We look at, um, you know, it, it's really um, amazing. I could show you an aerial photo of the area. This is a 12 acre parcel. It, uh, it abuts undevelopable wetland property. Um, and then as you scroll out, it's a very densely um, populated area. It's been between the commercial activity on, uh, on um, uh, Washington Street and, the, uh, uh, and then on, on Main Street, the strip malls and the other industrial property. This is very heavily developed. So it becomes more and more of a challenge for us to find lots that meet all the zoning restrictions, that, that satisfy the telecommunications um, and radio frequency uh, engineers and don't have an effect on residential neighborhood. Um, as part of the planning board process, one of the things that uh, has happened since the last zoning board meeting is we finished the planning board process. We uh, received a positive recommendation from the planning board. I, I assume it was sent over to the uh, uh, zoning board today. I didn't see it, but uh, we were just in front of the planning board last week. And they uh, retained a, a civil engineer to look at our application, to look at our site plan, to make sure that we complied with all of the the site plan review regulations uh, um, and all the other zoning uh, requirements, the setbacks and the height limitations and all that. And the, the, the town's consulting engineer um, gave us a positive recommendation, which the planning board took and then gave us a positive recommendation to the zoning board, who is the actual arbiter of site plan review. So, uh, you know, we've, we've picked a lot that uh, um, um, really doesn't have an impact on the neighborhood. We also, uh, as part of the planning board process, did a visibility analysis for the benefit of the planning board. And I provided that, and I think we showed that on the big screen the last time we were here. Uh, we put a, a, a balloon up in the air and took photographs from the nearest residential neighborhood, both to the north and the south, and from the commercial areas. And I can, we can go back through that today. And we saw that, given the topography, um, um, that it really doesn't have an impact on any residential neighborhood. And the, one of the other questions I think, I forget who mentioned, was alternatives. Um, this site has been in play for over 20 years. I actually didn't think it got approved. I thought the applicant withdraw it due to budgetary concerns 20 years ago. I think somebody said, one of the abutters, it got denied. Mr. Pando thinks it got approved. But it doesn't matter because whether it got approved or denied, it, uh, all that's lapsed and we're back here today again proving the, the need for the site. It's only, the need has only gotten more critical because what's happened in the last 20 years, more cell phones have been sold. More people are relying on telecommunications. We showed you all the statistics. You know, 75% of 911 calls are made by mobile phones. 50% of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has cut the cord and they're only using mobile uh, technology to, uh, to, to, for telecommunications purposes. So there's just a, an, an, uh, um, uh, an immense amount of data to support the, uh, the need uh, for this facility. Um, we, um, you know, we, uh, um, I, I can show you, but we first talked to the gun club, we meaning Vertex Towers, um, back in 2019. And we've been working with them for, it's gotta be three years. Tom probably visited this site three years ago. And we um, tried very diligently to uh, site the facility so that it didn't have an impact on the residential neighborhood. Originally, we uh, had proposed putting it, and the gun club actually wanted us to put it, sorry, the Fish and Game Association wanted us to put it at the top of the hill, 
which better be closer to the NASA Ahmed Road neighborhood. And um, we felt that that, you know, even though the radio frequency engineers loved it being at the top of the hill, and the civil engineers loved it because it kept us out of the wetland buffers, um, we felt that that was too close to residential neighborhoods. So we asked our engineers to move it away from NASA Ahmed Road and put it down in a hill, um, which um, from an economic standpoint uh, is, is more than doubling the cost of development because now we're building into the hill rather than at the top of the hill. Um, we, have to, we, we knew from doing this that we have a minor encroachment on the wetlands buffer. So we're filing an application to the Conservation Commission. But we believe that's a better alternative and we're willing to um, do whatever mitigation the, the Conservation Commission imposes upon us rather than building at the top of the hill, which would require taking out trees that would again um, 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 affect the visual buffer that we had. I think Mr. McCourt mentioned, you know, this, or actually Mr. Pando mentioned, this is set back hundreds of feet from all the residential properties in the area, and then also surrounded by uh, undevelopable wetlands on the east and the west. And so there's a very substantial tree buffer where we're putting it, and those trees aren't going away. The photographs that we submitted were back in November, after all the leaves had fallen off the trees. And uh, um, so you know, we, we've done it very responsibly. Um, could we go in the Rite Aid parking lot? Um, one, I don't think the, the property owner would allow us to. We've, we explored many residential, we explored many other properties. We've provided a report to that. And part of the problem that we have with relocating it, and I can have Martin talk about this more specifically, but uh, um, you know, as Verizon and other telecommunication companies um, build more infrastructure in the towns of Canton and Sharon and the abutting communities, the, uh, the gaps become smaller but also more pinpointed in the sense that, you know, they, uh, I can show you on maps, Martin provided that uh, early on in the application. They already have a site three quarters of a mile to the northeast by the solar farm there, uh, um, a site that was approved by this board. Um, and uh, um, I don't, I think it might have been in a, a business zone, but it clearly abutted residential neighbors and there was many residential homes in uh, close proximity to that area. Um, they're already in uh, all these other places that you mentioned, the, uh, the church and Lincoln Street and Washington Street and all the other. So the, the, the ability to move a half a mile is, is you know, it, it just it moves it in a direction towards other existing sites. So it becomes much more pinpointed in where Verizon and other telecommunications companies have to go. So when you look at um, all of the other land use in Canton, much of which is residential and, you know, 5,000 square foot lots and very small house lots. Um, anything that could have been developed has already been developed. And uh, so we, we feel fortunate, and we felt fortunate as an industry 20 years ago and still feel fortunate that the gun club, uh, the Fish and Game Association, is, is undeveloped. It's a 12-acre parcel. It's surrounded by other acres that is not going to get developed because of wetlands. So we, we have found a a facility that satisfies the radio frequency objectives. It satisfies the civil engineers. Um, we know we have to go to CONCOM, but we're confident we've had several discussions with the conservation agent, and we're confident we'll get through that process. Um, it satisfied the planning board. It satisfied the town's consulting engineers. It, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, it really does not have an impact on the neighborhood. And in all the conversations 
that you know at the previous zoning board and the planning board meetings, people were complaining about the process. They were saying we didn't get adequate notice, uh, but it's the same notice that we provide to all zoning board applicants in every town. Um, it, it's it's Massachusetts law and your zoning ordinance that they're objecting to, not the cell tower. Um, and I stopped reading the 500 pages of stuff that got thrown into the record. You know, it was coming from people not from Canton. I read every word of everything that was submitted by people from Canton, and I take that to heart. But, you know, I don't know where this other stuff was coming from, but it certainly wasn't coming from residents of Canton. Uh, I also point out that uh, we've had several conversations with the fire chief and the police chief. Um, the fire chief sent in a letter of support to the planning board. I think that's required as part of the planning board process. Uh, and the fire chief said, you know, we recommend approval of the permit. Um, uh, I tried to get the police chief to come tonight. She had a conflict, but she sent us an email that I forwarded to Tamara uh, that basically said anything that approves communications in the town of Canton is welcome because they, you know, have public safety needs. In addition, uh, the, both police and fire have asked that we provide space on the tower um, for their telecommunications needs because in addition to using their own cell phones for telecommunications, they have a radio network. And um, at the request of the uh, fire chief, we spoke to the Norfolk County Regional Dispatch and we can accommodate them. We can put their antennas on our tower, which uh, again improves public safety. So it's a win-win for um, the town, a win-win for the uh, public safety. And so when we look at the big picture, um, there's nowhere else to go. There's, um, there's clearly a need. There's uh, all the other restrictions that are placed upon us by your zoning bylaw and other things. We meet handily with the exception of a very minor encroachment on the uh, Conservation Commission, which we're filing the application with the Conservation Commission tomorrow uh, because that's their deadline and we'll be in front of them in February. Uh, and we're confident we'll get through that. And uh, um, um, you know, as Mr. Pander said, this was approved 20 years ago. I'm not 100% certain of that because I've never seen it. I went through the Registry of Deeds. I didn't find that decision. However, I found the five other use variances that this board has granted. Uh, I have them if you'd like to see them. Uh, I, um, I saw uh, dozens of special permits that this board has granted for other installations that didn't require use variances. And I just think, you know, as part of a, uh, um, a big picture, we've given you all the data. You've approved these applications before. And we would ask that you approve it tonight uh, um, with reasonable conditions. The board has, has several sample, um, you know, I can draft a decision. However, uh, the board has several decisions. Really, all you do is got to change the address. Uh, and uh, um, because they've done this before, they've, and it's all the same data. C squared has provided the same report in all these other instances because they do a lot of work for Verizon and other telecommunications companies. Uh, our engineers have uh, provided similar plans in Canton and other cities and towns because they're very experienced um, uh, land use engineers uh, specifically focused on telecommunications facilities. Uh, the, the other experts that we provided have all provided similar reports. So uh, we would ask that the board, and I can go in and we can look at all these things. Um, the only thing I'm gonna say, um, I believe Mr. McCourt was right. Um, a lot of people are raising access issues. Uh, there, there are no access issues, but this isn't the forum to discuss them. Uh, I provided to the board, uh, the documents that clearly show it, but I don't think we need to get into that because um, the the Fish and Game Association has been there, um, I believe, since 1949, if not earlier. Uh, 
and uh, has been clearly using the access driveway. Uh, uh, it's, it's clearly documented in the, all the, uh, the Registry of Deeds information that we provided to you. And uh, so we don't, in fact, I don't, not actually we don't believe there is no access issue, uh, but uh, I, I know that's not a, a matter for this board to talk about. I think I kind of hit all the uh, issues that the board raised. If they had any other questions, if you want to hear from Martin and Radio Frequency. One Telecommunication access, but the RF frequencies, are they monitored at, over a course of the life of a tower or just put up monitored once? Um, I mean, do they, do they come back and monitor these radio no, frequencies? No, um, telecommunications companies are very heavily regulated with respect to both the frequency range that they operate in and the power output that they can broadcast at these particular locations. And, uh, and, and we can, um, and one, the report that I just submitted today shows that if Verizon were to use all of its frequencies at full power, it still wouldn't um, get over one and a half percent of the yeah, actual FCC limits. And then, and then if you, you know, take all the different companies, and that actually would never happen because Verizon would deploy a finite number of frequencies. Even though they have multiple licenses, they would deploy a, a finite number of their frequencies in a particular area. These are not high-powered radio transmission facilities. These, these are designed, you know, I used to say a couple square miles, and it's actually less than that now because of all the other facilities already in Canton. Um, um, you know, they routinely broadcast at about 100 watts. It's like, it's basically considered like a 100-watt radio station. By comparison, the towers in uh, Needham and Newton, uh, like up against Route 128, WBZ and WHGH and uh, the, the legacy AM radio stations, those broadcast out of 50,000 watts. And because that technology is designed to cover all of eastern Massachusetts, you can get WBZ in New York and in northern New Hampshire, and, uh, and, and that's what that technology was designed to do. This technology is designed to cover a little bit of Washington Street and a little bit of Main Street and the residential neighborhoods around it and the commercial development um, where the Shaw's and the, uh, um, uh, that, that plaza is. It's, it's not designed to broadcast. And the reason for that, it's a two-way communication. I use my cell phone as an example, but uh, um, you know, your cell phone, you talk on your cell phone like this. This is a very low-powered communication. I'm holding it upside down. Uh, this is a very low-powered communication. And in order to, uh, it's a two-way communication. So this is a low-powered communication. The transmission coming back is a low-powered transmission. It's certainly, um, um, very different than other existing technologies like AM and FM, but certainly well below established FCC limits. And, uh, 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 and you know, uh, the, the FCC uh, doesn't monitor compliance. However, you know, there are very specific limitations that Verizon and other telecommunications companies take very seriously. And, and, and also because you know, if they exceed their power output, they'd be creating interference with other uses. So it uh, it, it becomes self-policing in that regard. Uh. I um, that was basically in in uh, in lieu of uh, I hope of your uh, presentation. Yes, I, you know I was ready to talk about title issues. I'm glad uh, um, uh, you guys recognize that that's really not an issue for tonight. Okay. Uh, uh, um, I would, uh, at this point, uh, ask Ms. Matthews. Ms. Matthews, if you find it much more convenient to uh, 
put everything on a chair next to you and sit in a chair. You, I'd well, I don't mind the chair. I don't mind the chair. You do need a lecture. There's a lot of pages. The last thing for presentation, one of the pages flying everywhere on the floor. So that's suggestion. For I'll ask um, Mr. Duty, uh, our uh, uh, town administrator, if he'd send, put it in his budget for next You year. may have some left over in some of the buildings that you're involved in that are non-town buildings um, in Canton. But in any event, thank you. Um, yes, Suzanne Matthews here, um, representing um, Sophia uh, Hanif Mason and her parents, Abid and Saliha um, Hanfi. And in addition, we've also, they've also retained a second attorney, Robert Berg, um, who is a telecommunications attorney and has the information. I came to you at the beginning, I initially came here at the short change to do this, that this is coming before the board and have never represented, nor will I represent that I'm a telecommunications expert, although I will say I've learned quite a bit um, in this process. Unfortunately, Attorney Berg can't be here this evening. He was in pre uh, previously scheduled travel plans, um, but he has provided you a very in-depth memo um, in your regard. And that goes to um, really one of the issues that, the first issues that I wanted to address which is, was raised by um, Mr. McCourt. And I know that you've been inundated with a lot of information. And a lot of information, majority of that information, comes from advocacy, group, advocacy groups who heard of this particular petition. It's, it's no pun intended, live wire, you know, out there when this is happening. Um, and so a lot of that information which Mr. Uh, McCourt referred to does have to do with the health issues and does have to do with all of those things. And as Mr. Corey pointed out, those are important issues, but we're well aware of the fact that there is a narrow argument you can make under the Telecommunications Act on the health issues currently as the law is because of the fact that they have, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Attorney Parisi, but they have established what the limit of the radio frequency emissions can be, and as long as the um, petitioners within those, it's really difficult to overcome that. But that is not the only reason. That's the reason that has been put on you and in the information um, from these advocacy, advocacy groups, but not from the abutters that are sitting here today. Yes, that's their concern, but we want to focus on there are a lot more or additional important issues, and those have been addressed in um, letters from the initial abutters. They also have been to do with individual letters. I have provided you with two submissions. One was a copy of the letter that I had sent to the planning board on January 3rd regarding um, access. And I do, I am going to address that because I disagree with all due respect to Attorney Parisi um, that this is not an issue that the board has to take into consideration. Um, and then there has also been a request under the bylaws that you, as I, you may have seen, I think it's section 7.5.4 paragraph 20, in which when a petition like this comes forward, you have authority to request an independent engineer to review at the expense of the petitioner. For this very reason, it's interesting to see as um, I think Attorney Parisi said, we've been at this for 20 years. We've been at this for five years. It is a tremendous issue or tremendous imposition, we believe, on these abutters and on the town of Canton. And they are provided with, what, eight weeks maybe? you know, to address these issues. They don't have the resources, they don't have the funds to do that. And so the purpose of that bylaw, I believe, was just to address these particular issues. And many of these issues need to be addressed by an independent engineer. Yes, um, 
Mr. Houston is the town engineer and did but just for the site. He's not a telecommunications issue, and if you look at his reports and the recommendations, there was never in that particular report that he is addressing the purposes and the individual issues relating to this bylaw. And so that we think that it is the authority that the town of Canton gave you um, when they um, passed this bylaw. We think this is the exact situation in which it is required and should be addressed, and that's what we're looking for. Um, that is one of the issues, and so that's another uh, submission, my letter to you directly requesting that, that I'd like you to take a look at. And then the third issue that was submitted um, as part of our, our team, as I will say, is a in-depth um, memorandum from uh, Attorney Burke. And if you look at that, and I'm going to go over that, address that briefly, is that although, again, health issues are there and people have concerns, that's not what this is based upon. This is based upon the fact that this petition has failed to address the issues in your particular bylaw, and we'll go into that. There's a lot of conclusory statements. There's a lot of, you know, discussion about, you know, Verizon and what's good for them and 5G and 4G or whatever. But there is very little in the application that you have in front of you that specifically addresses the issues exactly like our bylaw requires. And so that is what our opposition is based upon. You know, health issues are an issue, but it's much further than that. And there's talk about all of these cases and that the, you really, there's very little ability to fight these um, telecommunications company because of the Telecommunications Act. As lawyers, we all know, these cases are extremely fact-specific. And when you look at a lot of these cases and you see them, the real issue is that the opposition may have been based upon the wrong reasons. You know, that Abud is not aware of it. Local boards, myself, local lawyers, myself included, are not educated at that extent when you get something with a very short time period. And so they deny it for things such as health issues. Simple, simple appeal issue for, for Verizon. And the other issue on that, and go off the health issue, is that I would assume that this town took the health issues into consideration when they wrote the bylaw that provides it is not to be in a residential district. And so that now to say that that basically means nothing and you have the right to overturn it, I, do, I disagree with Attorney Parisi what those cases say and would ask you to look at that a little bit more closely on it. So looking at um, the access, the reason access, we believe that the access is, that they basically do not have access to this property. And I think it's pretty straightforward in my um, letter that I sent to the planning board. Attorney Parisi said at the planning board last week and says today, says again today, oh, I've given you what appears to be or implying new information that we were somehow mistaken. What it was, there's no new information. The documents that Attorney Parisi gave you today are copies of the very same documents that I provided to you and provided the planning board that support the proposition that there is no access to it. Simple matter, and I won't go into detail, but it's here. 1949, um, the Fish and Game Association was incorporated. The Articles of Incorporation say exactly what they're for. Fishing, hunting, all kinds of ecologically, environmental protected reasons. Four days after that in 1949, Marjorie Winslow deeded the property to the Fish and Game. Clearly that, you would assume that the, her intent Excuse me, Ms. Matthews, are you, are you looking for access issues to, with respect to access? 
No, this is this has to do with the access issue because it shows that okay, because because I this board is not going to consider any issues with respect to access. I see board, that as a civil issue. If the board is accept, I don't know. Basically, the performance standards provide you have to have access. The by the telecommunications bylaw provides provides they have to have access. Yep. It's their burden of proof that they have to have access. They have not met that burden of proof. I don't see how you can provide and approve a project, repair, maintenance, accidents, all of those issues that are germane to putting this structure there, and they have no access. Let me just address it the two, the two ways, and the reason I was talking about that is that they make reference to an easement. Easements, we, we've given you the title report, that issue is in there. That easement that was provided to the fishing game by the Hanif family specifically says for the purpose of underground pipe. It doesn't give them the right to passage. The e dotted line right to use property that's in the 1949 deed in a subsequent plan from Mrs. Winslow says a right to use. It is not identified by width for the use or even the location. The plan they give you shows it in the town of Can Sharon and when it goes into the town of Canton, it doesn't show what it is. Clearly, that's ambiguous. If it's in that situation, you go to the intent of the parties and what occurred and why they were doing it. And that's where I was going through, and that's what my memorandum will show you. The only place, if you look at the plan, and we think this is not only misleading, but a substantial misrepresentation. If you look at page C1 of the plan that was, permit, that was submitted by Vertex, they refer to this underground right for a pipeline as an access built, built access road. You look at all the supporting documents we have, no one has referred to that as an access road or a built access road. That is a terminology that Vertex has given to it. And not only they've done it, and, and it's kind of surprising to me that this board and the planning board says not our issue. However, you look at the report of Tom Houston, and he specifically addresses the access. And he specifically provides this has access through an easement and through you know a right of way without ever looking at them. At the time he saw it, Attorney Houston received this petition. The petitioners had not provided any of these documents. They didn't identify easement recorded in X, Y, and Z. They don't even. They haven't still said today which whether it is this 30-foot easement that went to uh, Boston Edison, or is it this dotted line? And if my recollection is correct, and you could ask um, Attorney Parisi, he represented at the planning board meeting that if they would follow the dotted line, it would not be on that private road they're trying to go through. So that it is a germane issue. I beg to differ with you, Mr. Chairman, and I respect your opinion, but I don't know how it is not an issue when it's addressed by the by uh, Mr. Houston, when both sections of the performance standards provide that it has to be access, and the bylaw provides that it has to be access, and that access shouldn't be in a residential area. So your contention, uh, Ms. Matthews, is that the Fish and Game does not have access to their property? No, the Fish and Game have what we would consider a license. So the a there is no official, this is by our title examiner, and there is no official right to passage. The Hinefs have, have given it to them, and they, it, it is fine, but it's for the purposes in which the fishing game is to use the property. And when you give someone a license, something verbal, there's nothing in writing, there's not, no recorded instrument 
that we've seen, including the documents, because, I mean, it's just the, the documents that Attorney Parisi is giving you and the documents that I'm giving you are the exact same documents. Um, there is nothing in there saying they have that right to passage. And that is when you're going beyond the, the subdivision road that goes in there, and that's a private road. So we believe that this is an issue. We don't know how it could be approved, when they don't have access. And if you look at um, the recommendation by the planning board, they acknowledge that there was an access issue. If you look at the letter, which I just saw today from the fire chief, I don't have it, the exact language, but it was in there, provided that we have access to that. Um, there's no permission for access for these trucks and these equipment to go up to construct that. And there's no, whether or not even the fire trucks can go on that particular um, land as far as, I'm not saying who, what they have right, they don't have a right to, that I have no knowledge of, but a little narrow passageway that they've allowed to do. So it is a primary issue that needs to be, that's their, their burden to be established. And um, if nothing less, it should be a condition upon approval that to they, to they can establish that they have that, this, this permit could not be granted. But let's look at the other issues. There are um, many other issues that have been set forth um, primarily in the a memorandum um, that was submitted by Attorney Berg that are really substantial deficiencies that are in the petition that have been submitted by, by Vertex in addition to this access issue. Um, basically, this, the submission submitted by Vertex failed to provide substantial evidence necessary to warrant the relief Vertex seeks. It fails to meet the requirements of your bylaw. In sum, Attorney Parisi represents in the project narrative. Ms. Uh, Matthews, I, I apologize sincerely. Um, does uh, Attorney Parisi have a copy of? Uh, yes, I, I emailed um, copies to him two days ago. I knew ago. you would. Yep. Thank Despite you. the fact that he didn't email his today, but I did get it from uh, Tamara, so I appreciate that. I apologize. Thank um, you. In sum, Attorney Parisi represents in the, in the pro project narrative. The proposed facility has been designed to fulfill the purpose and intent and specific requirements of the bylaws as much as possible. We all know it's easy to make those general conclusory statements. It's can you back them up? The facts do not support the narrative. It's set forth in section 7.5 of the bylaw. Specifically, they're contrary um, to several of them. First, examples of these purposes that are in your bylaw include to protect the residential areas and land uses for, from potential adverse impact of towers and telecommunications facilities. To accomplish this, purpose, the bylaw only permits cell towers in the industrial or limited industrial zoning district. You even hear tonight, and I heard over and over again at the planning board, with so many feet away from residences. You're in a residential district. You're no feet away from a residential district. You're within the residential district. Where that house within that district is, excuse me, is not really the issue because anyone could build a house somewhere else closer to it. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to need a Vertex seeks to construct a 125-foot-tall monopole tower within the residential district. 
even more problematic as it seeks to construct the tower in an un undeveloped, thank you, woodland area used by the fish and game for three quarters of a century for purposes other than what this purpose is going to be. <coughs> in addition, as was touched by uh, Attorney Parisi, the property is bisected by Massapog Brook, a high qu water quality trout stream that is annually stocked by the Massachusetts Division of Fisheries and Wildlife. The property also directs the 32-acre town wildlife sanctuary known as the Dr. Nathaniel uh, Fuller Wildlife Sanctuary. This certainly does not align with, a pur with that purpose of the particular bylaw. Second, the bi purpose of the bylaw, to minimize adverse visual impact of towers and telecommunications facilities through careful design, siting, landscaping, and innovative camouflaging techniques. Again, Ver Vertex proposes to construct this tower without any such design adjustments because they claim the lot is large, as he said, and substantially undeveloped, heavily treed, and amply set back from residential areas. This will minimize any visual impact on this facility. They are in a residential area. They're not adversely affecting areas. The height, um, and there's a lot of in, um, provisions and information I draw you to the attention of the opposition from Mr. Berg, but that the the, lay, the height of the, the tree canopies and whatever there is, and this is clearly going to be um, much greater than that. Moreover, in its November 12th review of the site plan, PSC requested that Vertex provide color photo simulations showing the proposed tower with photo, a photorealistic presentation as it would appear from the closest residential property and from adjacent roadways. And although Vertex has promised to do so, and Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Parisi. From my understanding to date, Vertex has not required, has not provided that photo simulation. Well, it clearly hasn't hasn't provided it to us, so we haven't seen that. So we wouldn't be able to respond to that. We're going back at some point. To promote, they are <coughs> purposes to promote, encourage shared use, collation of towers, and antenna support structures as a primary option rather than construction of additional single-use towers. Vertex, in essence, ignores this bylaw. It responds to the bylaw <coughs> not by why it's unable to use any existing cell towers or existing antenna support structures in Canton or Sharon as a primary option, rather than constructing an additional new tower. Vertex simply states that it encourages co-location and intends to provide space on its new tower to carriers besides Verizon. It fails to identify any specific towers and why co-location on these towers is insufficient. <coughs> and I'd like to focus too also on who is the petitioner, I'll address that easy. This is talking about Verizon and the telecommunications company <coughs> and the uh, hardship to them. The petitioner isn't Verizon. The petition is Vertex, which is a company that develops and does these structures and then sell, lease, whatever they do to Verizon. So the focus is on who the petitioner is in this case. The bylaw purposes are also to promote and encourage utilization of technological designs that will either eliminate or reduce the need for erection of new tower structures. Again, that's ignored. We're just going to, their position is we're just going to erect a new one. And then they're stating that the other, and then the final, um, one of the final purposes to ensure that towers and telecommunications facilities are compatible with surrounding land uses. Simply put, that is not compatible with the land use whatsoever. A residential land use with the environmental protected property all around it, to put the cell tower in there is not taking that in con into consideration. Um, clearly on this issue, Vertex proposed cell tower 
blatantly frustrates the purpose of the telecommunications bylaw. None of this has been addressed by them. These are issues that were not taken up, obviously, by the planning board because this is under, oh, thank you. The, um, the parameters of the zoning board. Now, the other relevant issues and is to looking at a lot of the material that you have is based upon conclusory statements. And your conclusory statements by the petitioner. And who is the petitioner? As I said, it's Vertex. Pursuant to corporate records, Vertex is a Massachusetts corporation which describes the character of its business as wireless infrastructure development and acquisitions. This is not a telecommunications carrier. It appears to be a small company with few employees. The company identifies one manager and one principal. Although its website states that Vertex team has over 150 years of combined experience and has the expertise and foresight to navigate the challenges of the most complex markets. What does that mean? Certainly not for 150 years in the uh, telecommunications field. Um, the Department of Corporations provide that Vertex Tower Assets was incorporated in 2018. Not quite sure where the 150 years of expertise comes into play. Now you might ask, what is the relevance of that issue? And the relevance of that issue is that one of the requirements of your bylaw is that the, the petitioner has to submit an affidavit. Petitioner has submitted an affidavit of site acquisition specialist. And who is that site acquisition specialist? That is the one principal of the company and the manager of the company, Stephen Kelleher, to a company that was incorporated five years ago. First, the document shouldn't be entitled an affidavit. It's not an affidavit. As we all know, an affidavit needs to be signed under the pains and penalties of perjury. There is nowhere in that affidavit that is signed under the pains and penalties of perjury. It's a statement by a person. There is nothing in that statement that supports that this is an acquisition specialist. And there's nothing in there that lays out his experience, his um, either educational work experience, knowledge to provide him with the ability to issue an affidavit based upon his expert analysis of what's going on. There are no credentials that are, met that are in that statement um, to categorize him as an expert. He's not an engineer, does not appear that he has any professional education, structural or engineering. He has not any scientific background and no academic degree in science field. No, and he has no, we can know of a formal education in wireless communications or wireless in infrastructure. Again, I said this is important because in the application, Mr. Kellner makes a big point about having specific expertise in the investigation of all feasible alternate options in locating a wireless communications facility within a search ring which would fill a significant gap in wireless coverage. This is one of the primary issues that we have and I think that the board has raised them is that they have to prove that they have a significant gap and we believe that they have not done that. When you look at it and you look at it carefully, there's a lot of conclusory statements, but they're not based in fact on what it is. And these are one of the issues that if you uh, exercise your authority out of the board to provide an expert, uh, to an expert engineer to reassess that, that is just what they'll be able to do. He, uh, Mr. Keller claims to have participated directly as present past employment in the development and analysis of hundreds of such facilities including wireless communication facilities similar to the proposed site. But without having any re relevant education in that area, how could he be an expert on that situation? In addition, they, they have no information as to what, if any, 
alternate site analysis Mr. Kelher or any of his agents perform. He simply provides none and merely states a conclusion that no other acceptable or feasible sites could be found in the particularly geographic driven search. That is an area that needs to be explored. It shouldn't be just on the back of the abutters, the individual residents, but something that the board can make sure that it helps. Now in response to the significant gas issue, gap issue, Vertex fails to demonstrate the significant gap. And that is where the third submittal comes into play where we requested that you um, would employ the services of an engineer who could really make that determination. I know that other um, board members, Mr. McCord and Mr. Curry have said, you know, I'm in that area, I drive in that area, there's no, uh, no drop calls. I live very close to that area and there are no drop calls in our area. And what was interesting, some of these abutters had a meeting with the town manager of Sharon yesterday about Sharon's position on that. I, I went to the meeting, I, it was a virtual meeting, I was in on just to hear what was to be said. Not to make any presentation, not any uh, requests on behalf of the town of Canton. And the town administrator specifically stated that while Sharon does have gaps, there are no gaps in the area in which the cell tower is going. At least that's the, his position in that area. Um, and other issues of the report that talks about gaps do, relies on something but I'm not familiar with, but propagation maps. And they're generated by Verizon using computer software, software and then claims a significant gap is quote unquote is likely. That in itself is insufficient to establish that there is a gap in coverage. In addition, the report is not based on real world drive-by data or actual drop call data. Um, the Vertex report at page 11 states, we've concluded that by collating on the proposed wireless communications facility at NASA Road at a particular centerline height, Verizon will be able to provide substantially improved coverage and additional capacity to residents, businesses, and traffic corridors within Canton and Sharon that are currently located within gaps in service a wireless network. That conclusion is broad in general and worthless. In, adi in addition, additional capacity, which may be desired by Verizon, is not something that is entitled to under the Telecommunications Act and does not define gap in coverage. For example, case law has held that all improved coverage and speed are desirable and no doubt profitable. Goals in the age of smartphones, but they are not protected by the act. This report Verizon represents that it has determined that much of Canton and Sharon is without reliable service. In certain areas at the proposed site is needed to fill those gaps in service in order to improve the network quality and reliability for Verizon subscribers. Nothing in these submittals defines what is reliable service, nor does it provide any actual world raw data for consideration. Again, the Vertex failure to adequately address the issue of gap in coverage is set forth in detail in the written opposition we've submitted to you on pages 24 to 29, and I ask the board that to review the submittal carefully. Um, this is again what we would be looking for an independent um, expert to provide. Verte Vertex is charged by this bylaw with coming up with potential alternative sites that might close this alleged significant gap in a feasible and less intrusive manner. It's set forth on page five of the RF report via, uh, submitted by Vertex, Vertex through Verizon simply states what should be done to make these determinations but fails to identify with specificity, specificity what has been done in this case, not identifying any other towers and not what situations they've done. Again, in, in an independent expert um, engineer can do that. Um, Finally, Vertex has failed to meet the requirements, we say, for a variance to build a proposed cell tower in a residential zone. Vertex has not met its burden of proof 
to meet the strict requirements of a, of a variance. First, Vertex is not the owner of the property, just a lessee, the owner of the Canton Fish and Game Association. It is Vertex that now claims it is entitled to a variance to utilize this residential property for industrial use that will completely disrupt the character of the surrounding neighborhood and is inconsistent with the use of land for the last 75 years. Um, I haven't read them all and I'd be happy to do so, um, the cases that uh, in general that are referred to by attorney Parisi, but at least in his, if I heard him correctly, is talking about hardships of telecommunications carriers. This is not a Verizon petition. This is a petition by a company that we say wants to make money off Verizon and everyone else, and that by locating it in this area, I have no idea what fish and game is charging them, but I, we can only presume it's probably a little bit less than the owner of another industrial plaza may do it in the area. There is really no hardship to either the, that we've heard, either to the Fish and Game Society of the company that is the petitioner to build this at this point. Um, and, and again, I simply, um, I will base on, this is just representing Attorney Burke because I don't have the experience um, in this area. It's his position that telecommunications historically try to intimidate local and use, use boards asserting that they have no regulatory control over the siting of wireless communications facilities and that's not the case. The Telecommunications Act only narrowly constrains local government control over normal zoning practices. Specifically, local governments are precluded from completely prohibiting wireless facilities within its jurisdiction. We're not doing that, we're not looking for. Discriminating in favor or against any telecommunications companies, that's, that's not occurring here. And considering environmental concerns based on radio frequently admissions when deciding such petitions so long as the petitioners are certified to operate within FCC emissions. That may be what some of these advocacy groups have provided you with, but that's not what we're basing what our opposition is on that. And that was a concern when I, you know, it's always great, the more information and the more this happens. Um, yes, they have a right to do that, but we wanna make sure that this opposition is not lost on that. That that's, that we are providing the board with very reasonable, very reliable, very important facts that you have a right to consider and should be considering, and we believe that there is not enough information or not enough um, independent information, shall I say, in front of this board today for you to make that decision. We would request that you authorize the retaining of an e engineering expert as of what you have the authority to do and that you have the opportunity to really review some of the more particular issues, facts specific to this case and our bylaw and we believe that you'll see strongly that this company has not provided a, you with the information that you need or met the burden of proof under the circumstances. Thank you very much, Ms. Matthews. That certainly covered an awful lot of information. Um, if there was anyone else in the hall that would like to speak with respect to this petition, that would like to offer new or different information than uh, both your attorneys presented, uh, please do so at this time. Uh, if so, please uh, approach the microphone, state your name. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much for giving us the time. My name, is, my name is Nasir Rana, N-A-S-I-R, last name Rana, R-A-N-A. -A. Thank you. You need the any other information? Yes, please. Okay, address. My address, home address is 1243 Elm Street, ELM, Concord, Massachusetts. 
Eleven Concord, I consider Canton and Sharon as my second home. I've been in Massachusetts since 1995. And uh, I've been coming to our mosque, which is on Nasser Ahmed Road, since 1997, where the mosque was inaugurated. Married with four children, blessed with two twin girls last year. They're 18 months. So I definitely have an interest in this, and I have the health concerns that others have, which conveniently the Telecom Act and FCC have asked everybody else as returning uh, presented to bypass. However, I would like to present something to you That's okay. So I don't want to dwell on health effects. However, there is something that I see is contradictory in the statement from Verizon as well as the tele as well as the FCC. I present to you the second page, which I showed to you. It is a snapshot from the 2021 annual report of Verizon, page 17, and I quote. In addition, our wireless business also faces personal injury and wrongful, wrongful, wrongful death lawsuits relating to alleged health effects, I repeat, health effects of wireless phones or radio frequency transmission, transmitters, aka the cell towers. We may incur significant expenses in defense defending these lawsuits. In addition, we may be required to pay significant awards or settlements. So the question I present to you, to Verizon and their attorney is, if they are telling us not to consider the, law, uh, law, uh, the health effects, why is Verizon so worried about the lawsuits? And why are they publishing this in their annual report and reporting all this to the shareholders? There is a self-contradiction in their own statements, and I humbly request you to consider that. Now, that aside, there's a lot of other information which I'm, I won't delve into because I think that will be brushed aside. There's a lot of uh, uh, research done, published by scientists uh, at Harvard and other places that are talking about the impact of uh, these radiofrank frequencies on their DNA, which leads to carcinogens and hence cancer. But we'll leave that aside for now. So now let me come to my second point. I'll present another uh, exhibit for that. If three, would you mind giving a copy to uh, Thank you. Parisi, please? Yes, two. Thank you. Yes, three. Oh, great. Thank you very much. So now I'm uh, switching topics to something that Attorney Parisi pointed out, that there is a need. Let's really talk about the need. So I, just to introduce, uh, give you some more background myself, I have an educational background in electrical engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And uh, I have been working in the IT industry for a while. 
I consulted one of my friends who has a master's in telecommunication engineering. Fortunately, he could not be here in, in person and the Zoom was not allowed. He has worked for almost a decade for telecommunication companies such as Sprint and some others. So he and I looked at this question, what is really the need from two angles. We looked at the telecom infrastructure analysis, the density of the cell towers, and then we also looked at the coverage analysis. Now I will point out when I say coverage, I'm talking about 5G coverage. So there's a lot of talk, I think that people throwing the terms 5G as this is something that landed from Mars. There's nothing spectacular about it, it's a different frequency. So uh, I would not be intimidated by 5G and those kind of comments as if this is something brand new and we've never seen. It's just, a, it's just an evolution in, uh, in the progression of technology. So now uh, I'll refer you to page number two of this uh, slide. This is uh, showing you all the towers that are within three miles of the proposed location, 25 Nasser Ahmad Road. Uh, you will see there's one very close, 0.5 miles owned by T-Mobile, and then there are some others owned by uh, AT&T, uh, American Towers, etc. I will go to the next point, uh, next page. This one is uh, basically a zoomed-in version, and this is showing you not only the towers, but the antennas as well. The red dot in indicates the antenna, and the blue dots, the towers. Again, you'll see the T-Mobile tower at 0.5 miles away, Sprint at 1.3 miles. There are about 13 or so towers within three miles radius. We'll move on to page number four. And now, so these are the registered towers. Now, on page number four, we're looking at the non-registered towers. Again, the radius is about three miles, uh, actually here, 1.3 miles. Uh, half that. And you will see about 15 or so non-registered tower locations. Um, and you will see again American Tower, AT&T, among other major tower owners over here. Fa uh, to the, on to the next page. Uh, again, these are both registered and non-registered towers. And the point of this first part of analysis of the tower density is there are 13 registered towers within three miles, 13. There's 91 registered and non-registered towers in Canton. There is an alternative location, as I mentioned, Sprint, of 0.5 miles in the shopping area next door. So towers location is not an issue. You have plenty of towers. If somebody wants to piggyback, they have plenty of options. But the next logical question will be, well, we have gaps. Well, let's talk about gaps. Let's move on. So we looked at uh, the publicly available websites. Their references are given in the last page of three major carriers, T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. And again, I'll point out, we specifically looked at 5G. So if you look at the T-Mobile coverage, Looks pretty good to me. If you look at the location of uh, uh, 25 Nasser Ahmed Road, looks good. Somebody may say, oh, this is you know at a high level. Well, let's zoom in. That's the next page. 
uh, actually, so if you zoom in, it's, uh, you know, th the coverage is still there. Then we went on to Verizon, and we did a zoom in there. So here, this page is showing the 5G ultra-wideband and 4G LTE nation, uh, nationwide uh, uh, signals. I think the next page is just the same thing. Uh, yes, zoomed in, and the coverage, the point to make over here is the coverage is looking pretty good. What you notice where the holes are are pretty far out. So the question really becomes is, if the coverage is pretty good here, and you want to put a tower for coverage, please look at the places where the gaps are, right? These are further away, not at this location. Let's look at the third major carrier, AT&T. Again, 5G. So you have uh, 5G, 5G plus, 4G at 25 Nasir Ahmed Road. Look at the color coding, looking pretty good. So what does that mean? We conclude that coverage is not an issue. You have ample coverage. We don't see any holes. You have enough towers all around. You have the ability uh, to co-locate with somebody else. Now, they may bring an expert, fair enough. They may show you a gap. I would question that. Why am I not seeing the gap? I will humbly request you to hire a telecom engineer an independent one, not at the payroll of Horizon, not at the payroll of Attorney Parisi, somebody who comes in and gives you their perspective as well. And I would submit that this decision should not be rushed in because you know, somebody comes in and says there's a gap. I don't see it. And the references are uh, available. And that's all I had to say. Thank you very much. Shukran. Thank you. Um, getting to be about 8.15, I know there are a lot of you here, uh, but we've had quite a bit of compelling uh, information, uh, certainly from Attorney Parisi, uh, certainly from the uh, neighborhood. Um, and uh, unless anyone, I, I don't want to cut anyone off, but I, I don't think it's, it's necessary to continue with further information. Um, yes, sir. Certainly, absolutely. Good evening. My name is Muneeb Ahmed Sharif. Um, I'm from 92 Arcadia Avenue, Waltham, Massachusetts. Um, I stand before you today in my capacity as president of the MDM Muslim Youth Association. Um, and as president, it is my responsibility to look after the health, well-being, and concerns of parents of children from the ages of 7 to 15, and as well as beyond that. Today, I want to focus on that age demographic specifically because we have a lot of activities based at Nasser Ahmed Road for them on a weekly basis, including Sunday school. Um, and we have a lot of concern from parents for that. To express that concern, we went ahead and created this petition, which I would like to present before Mr. Chairman. Um, here we have the signatures of 53 uh, concerned parents, not just from within our community, but from within the neighborhood, um, and I hope that you will give this due consideration. Thank you. Shukran. Thank you. 
All right. Um, well, before uh, I, I just had some general comments. It's interesting. We've had 15 or 20 of these applications over the years in the town of Canton, and uh, um, this neighborhood or this location is the only location in, in the 15 or 20 that we've had such vehement uh, opposition to. So I, I like to uh, take a common sense approach to things. And I'm just gonna throw this out as an idea because we could uh, go on and back and forth and we could go out and hire another consultant and get more information and go back and forth. Uh, or we could do one of two things. We could uh, approve it and let the neighborhood uh, file for an appeal or we could deny it and let Vertex file for an appeal. Uh, and we could be uh, Vertex versus the town of Canton in Superior Court. So there's a choice we have rather than to continue it and just go on and on and on. I think that there is a substantial information here uh, that uh, we could see on both sides. This could I, certainly would go beyond our uh, due date, which is a statutory date of uh, March 1st. I know Attorney Parisi will not give us an extension. Yes. The which? January 14th. Was the? Statutory date. Statutory date of? of uh, um, under Mass General Laws, you're required to make a decision within 100 days of the application. 100 days of the application or the hearing date? Application, sir. So you're saying that uh, it, by default? Um, the application was filed on October 6th. Um, 100 days is um, January 14th. January 14th, which is, uh, sorry, it's uh, Saturday. Correct. Monday. Tuesday. Monday's a holiday, federal holiday. Correct. At least I know something. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but you, I'm not going to quibble over hours. Um, um, this board has heard many similar applications. The information that we provided, notwithstanding um, um, Mr. Berg's uh, criticism of it, is the same information this board has used to approve other similar applications. Um, I, um, I think Ms. Matthews did a very good job of reading Mr. Berg's memo. I quite frankly found Mr. Berg's memo offensive. Uh, um, he accused me of being conclusatory, but yet was conclusatory every step of the way and made a lot of factual inaccurate statements uh, uh, and was insulting to boot. Uh, uh, Ms. Matthews, however, has been more than cordial and uh, professional throughout this entire process. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you want to spend the next three hours listening to me refute all of the comments made by Mr. Berg. Uh, Mr. Berg uh, is not here. He's not licensed in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He questions my um, uh, professional competency but says he's a telecommunications expert. Uh, um, he questions uh, Martin and C-squared's radio frequency competency but he's not a radio frequency engineer. 
He questions our civil engineer's competency, our site acquisition's competency, but he's none of the above. Uh, uh, so I just found it offensive. Uh, uh, there were lots of things raised by the memo. Uh, I don't even think we need to respond. Uh, I could if you'd like, if there are any issues that uh, uh, were um, um, brought up by Ms. Matthews via Mr. Berg, via Mr. Berg, via Ms. Matthews, I'd be happy to respond to, but uh, they're just factually inaccurate. Uh, this board has ample information uh, provided by the applicant. This board has um, um, ruled on many similar applications based on the same information. Uh, uh, we have shown that there's no impact on the neighborhood, both from a radio frequency perspective, from a visual perspective. We've shown compliance with your zoning bylaw in all respects, and uh, we would ask that the board grant the use variance uh, so that we could move on and continue to develop the project. Thank you, Attorney Parisi. Yes, Ms. Matthews. Um, Ms. Kennedy, just one thing I do want to uh, issue, and I do take issue with Ms. Parisi's um, assumption of representation of my representation. If I was going to be reading Mr. Berg's memo, we'd be here for a lot longer than we are here today. I want to make it clear I'm a co-counsel with Mr. Berg on this matter. I was reviewing my notes. Apologize to Mr. Parisi if I have to look at it and read it. There's a lot of information to put in there, but that representation was based upon my knowledge my experience, my um, information, and it was more than just reading an out-of-state attorney's memo. Thank you, Ms. Matthews. I, uh, I want to apologize. I meant no disrespect to Ms. Matthews. Thank you, Attorney Parisi. Um, so here's what we're faced with. We have a statutory limit of this Saturday, Saturday, Saturday folks. It's Thursday night. So it, tonight, is, tonight is decision night, one way or the other. Attorney Parisi, would you give us a written extension? Um, I would, I'm not going to answer that yes or no until I ask, I understand until when and for what purpose. Good point, yes. My take, having, and I appreciate everyone's uh, testimony tonight, um, I think it's essential that we have town council's input on this. If give, under the Telecommunications Act we have no discretion, so be it. Uh, but if we do have discretion, um, we need to understand the scope of that discretion. And um, I think we need, experts can testify. We need our own independent engineer to evaluate whether there is a public need. The, um, uh, Mr. Houston is a tremendous civil engineer. He doesn't know anything about radiological science. Um, the information that Mr. Uh, Rada provided, again, reinforces my questions as to whether it actually is necessary <coughs> or whether this is just an opportunity for the, the Fish and Game Club and and Vertex to put a tower in. Um, I'm not saying either way what I'm thinking, but if there is a risk here to the public, and it's not just the folks in Canton, it's the folks in Sharon. Um, we've gotten a, um, a weigh-in from the conservation agent in Sharon. This is 500 feet 
from the sharing border, this is impacting them. And maybe the board has granted several of these use variances, but you know, to if it's if it's if the analysis and the due diligence undertaken in granting those wasn't sufficient, I want to stop the mis the mistakes, and we should look at this. Tim, we, if it were a, any other use variance, we would be really holding the applicant to it, not just here's here's my case, accept it and 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 um, just vote to approve. I think we owe it to the residents of Canton in the area as well as in Sharon and maybe getting the input uh, from Sharon uh, as, a, as a decent neighbor because if there is a risk then it's going to affect people in Sharon and I, I can't in good conscience vote yes without having some more information. So you're, you're actually asking me two different things. You're saying let's get an opinion from town council yes. whether or not we can deny. Right. And if we can, whether we should, based on the science. Based on the science, okay. Mr. I McCourt. Know, the, the deadline we have, if yep. we were to vote on it, I would vote for denying tonight because of the same things he just had. And these maps that we just received with the coverage is the best thing I've seen so far yeah. about coverage. And my other question could be to the petitioner is if this cell power was to put in, who does it benefit? Does it benefit Sharon or does it benefit Canton? Because from what I'm seeing in these photos, and once again, this is off online somewhere, is Canton got unbelievable coverage up there. Everything's red, everything's dark, everything's good. And if Canton is fine, we, we don't need anything. It, 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 and even Sharon looks good. I mean, there's some more issues in Sharon that are further away from this tower than some of the other towers. That's what I don't get. I mean, this tower's right in this area within three miles, but the, 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 the dead areas or the lighter areas are further in Sharon, up, up, up the street, so to speak, from what these do. So this gives me doubt as the necessity or the need for this tower in that location. Well, the issue, too, is that... Uh, this no this location or this application is not unique right this is no different than the other 15 or 20 applications and towers that have applied and have had permits in the town there's nothing special or unique or different about this location well it's in the middle of a forest hmm? it's in the middle of the forest in the middle of a forest the uh, indian lanes in the middle of a forest well, one of the things that came up in this discussion and this information that we got yesterday yeah. was fires. And there's nothing in the telecommunication app that says anything about fires. Well, they were talking about fuels. But I haven't seen anything in Massachusetts, anything contrary to fires in Massachusetts or town of safety. They're talking about and fuel, then the other question is, fires. is the petitioner come up? This is another thing that's come up, is that- The board would like me to submit pictures of houses burning on fire. No, I don't want to see houses burn. What I'm saying is the, the need and who needs it. Does Verizon need it? T-Mobile need it? The carriers aren't in front of us. Where's the need? Yeah, I, 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 the, the chair would prefer to end this this evening. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, we've with, got, we've got. I'd rather uh, talk to town council. We can't with time, so we'll vote on it. 
That's it. I'm fine with that. Uh, we're st we have a deadline of Saturday. Uh, we will either vote tonight or we'll get an extension. If we get an extension, it's only for one purpose. Town Council. Uh, uh, opinion for Town Council, whether we have uh, their opinion is that we have the authority to deny. And the reason I... Which is I probably the question that Attorney Parisi had before he said he'd indicate whether well, or not... that's the only reason, because if the town of Canton yeah. determines by their town council that we don't have the authority to deny under our concerns yep. and under the telecommunication and whatever, then uh, why would, as a town um, official and a resident, I wouldn't want to succumb the town to long-time expensive litigation if we don't have a chance to win. Been there, done that. We've already done that, yes. Mr. But Chair. that's what I'm looking at. I mean, if the... If, if the petitioner will continue this to allow us to town council, which we will do forthcoming, which we could have a meeting to continue it to the next meeting, we'll have a determination from town council in two weeks, within two weeks, I would assume, and then we make the decision based on that. That way we're, you know, taking care of our due diligence, what have But if you want me to vote on it now, you know how I'm going to vote. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Mr. Chair, I, it, my idea isn't do we have the basis to deny it. Just what level of discretion we have and what do we need to look at in connection with this. The fact that the board may have approved it based on this before in the absence of objection doesn't mean we do it, we're doing it right. And, you know, I'm, I've been on the board three years. This has never come up with me, and I really want, don't want to make a mistake because potentially this could be people's health. And that's just too, and I don't know what I'm looking at. Well, I'm a lawyer. I, I don't want to up, open up the entire process beyond, beyond the right to, uh, to, to deny. Because we can, we, can, we can go on and on and on and on and on and on about this expert, that expert, this opinion, that opinion, uh, health concern, not health concern. And you're going to get compelling arguments on both sides of the issue. What I'd like to rely on is an independent um, telecom engineer. Who yeah, I us. really don't want to do that. I don't okay. want to go down the path of hiring, hiring independent uh, engineers uh, for this sort of thing. Yeah. We're going to we're going to end up having more and more and more and more cell towers um, because of 5G and the and the and the short throw of the, um, where's our friend from, uh, the distances uh, required closer and closer towers because the signal's a higher frequency and it doesn't have the power of, of, of the bricks we used to have 30 years ago that could travel for distances. So um, I, I just don't want to go there. So I guess uh, uh, before I go any further, I know you're being patient, Ms. Matthews. Yes. One issue on, two issues on that. One. I think we've clearly made an argument strong that you do have discretion to deny it. There's certain things you have to find, and it's on a certain basis, and I understand and have no objection, obviously, to doing town council. And with all due respect to you, Mr. Chairman, on the issue of we don't want to bother with, and I'm paraphrasing, I know those aren't your words, with an independent expert, there's a reason why the town of Canton gave you the authority as the Board of Appeals to 
retain an yep. independent expert. I understand that, okay. Ms. Matthews, but there is no compelling reason that makes this location any more hazardous than any other location, whether it's a cell town in the town of Canton in a residential district. We're not saying that this, my argument's not based on it being hazardous. It's based upon the very fact that we need an independent engineer to provide information on the, um, the gap, the gap issue. What is, I mean, unless you're going to take independence or whatever, but that, that is one, when you look at, and I can get it out what the word is, that they have an independent engineer that they have provided the information to support their petition. The information they haven't provided, we say, viable information, is that there's a gap and that what were the other locations, an independent engineer there will look at, similar to what um, the prior testimony was, what are the other locations they could have utilized. They don't identify, they just say there aren't any. There are none that would work. These, so the independent engineer isn't, I'm not looking at the safety, I'm not looking at the fire, I'm not looking at the health. I'm looking for the very basics that their obligation is to provide sufficient evidence in that we say clearly they have not. They've made conclusory statements and even if they're gonna say they did, get your own engineer to make that determination. It's not only that you have the authority, the, the bylaw provides that it is at the expense of the petitioner. I believe strongly, my clients believe strongly that the, you owe it to the town of Canton to exercise the authority they gave you to ensure that this petition has that information. Again, I understand you did a lot of the others, but just like the case law comes out, the facts specific. The, this is, there's a lot of facts specific to this issue, I would imagine, that are nowhere else in the other cell towers that you did. And I believe strongly over the time period, you may not have gotten the same arguments that you're getting in this particular case. We're providing them with you. I think that we have um, a need for that independent engineer. And I think that without that information, and your bylaws also provide that if the, by, if the petition doesn't provide you with suffi sufficient information to satisfy that, that alone is a right for you to deny it. So we would ask that, you know, again, either you have to deny, if you deny it, you deny it. I respect the issue of you'd prefer to get some independent knowledge um, in order to do that for ahead of time. We're not opposed to that. Yes, I could say I'd love it, deny it tonight. I, but I'm not gonna, you know, if that's something you think is something that um, is important, we support that. We just want the most accurate, reliable information before the board. Thank you. Um, Attorney Parisi. Um, I, I feel like people didn't read the application. They read my narrative and criticized me for making conclusory statements, but I didn't make conclusory statements. I referred to the reports of C-squared. I referred to the site plans prepared by the professional engineers. Uh, we believe that we provided sufficient information to establish the gap um, um, by, uh, by expert testimony. Um, I am 100% confident of the information that you will get from town council because the law is the law. And uh, 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 I'm disappointed that the board asked for cases. I provided the cases a month and a half, a month ago, and nobody got them let alone read them, but if the board would like a reasonable time of extension to consult with town council, we would agree to that. 30 days? Uh, why 30 days? Well, I 30 days, because it's uh, uh, 14 days to our next hearing, 
and we have to write a decision and file that record the decision. And according to, a, it has to be recorded within the period of time, not just the vote, is that correct? So that are you continuing the meeting for 30 days or are you getting a continuance for 30 days? Um, I would uh, get a, well, we're gonna have to do both, gentlemen. We're gonna have to, uh, uh, I, think I think we should, other than town council, uh, we have the opportunity to close the hearing uh, subject to uh, the information from uh, town council on our authority or our discretion. And then at our uh, next meeting, um, vote based on that. Yeah. Miss Matthews. Briefly, that I would oppose you, you closing the, the um, hearing. I mean, it depends upon what the opinion that you get um, of the town council. You know, I think that the open the meeting should remain open, and that decision could be made once you get that advice from your town council. All right. I, I think that uh, that. Uh, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to put words in my uh, colleagues' mouths as to their uh, position, based on what town council will tell them. So, public is yes, and we're going to be able to see that. Miss Matt's going to be able to see it. That's a good question, or is that privileged information? I don't know the answer to that, Attorney Greasy. Um. I would say that the opinion of town council would have to be made public at the hearing. Prior to, probably not. Um, if we are continuing this for 30 days, is it possible that we could get that in advance so that both Smith Matthews and I could respond to it at the next meeting? Well, I, I'd just like to continue the hearing until our next hearing. But I'd like to continue the time for for filing for 30 days. The Next hearing being January 26th. Right. Is that the is that the uh, date? Yeah. yeah. We have three hearings that would be January 26th. But um, to 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 continue the hearing and then based on the information we get we'll make a decision that evening. Yes. And then uh, we need, I need two weeks to, to actually write the decision, unless, yeah, 26 at work, which means I, I would need uh, until Friday the February 10th to file it. I don't know how, how what we would extend. It, it, it's, uh, can we do an extension of time for January 14th, February 14th. That's 30, that's within 30 days. February 10th would be uh, less than 30 days. Um, we will consent to that, yes, sir. Excellent, we could get that. Uh, we have a form, Tamara, that, or could we get it, could we get a- uh, I will send in an email to the- Thank you so much. I, I, tomorrow I to Tamara. Uh, All right, we uh, are going to, uh, seek the opinion of town council. We will continue this matter until the 26th of January.
Um, and I thank you all for your uh, concern and attention. We will see you then again. Good evening. We have um, further business tonight is, we have minutes, uh, Mr. McCourt. Yes, Mr. Chairman, I make a motion that we accept the minutes from December 15th, 2022, so moved. Seconded. Motion has been made and seconded to accept the minutes. Uh, December 15th, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Aye, aye. unanimous. Um, we have a continuation, 30 Dan on February 9th. Um, and that is all the business. Do we have any further business, Mr. McCourt? No, we do not, sir. Mr. Corey? We're good. I would entertain a motion to adjourn. Mr. Chairman, motion to adjourn at 8.40. Motion has been made. Seconded. And seconded to adjourn at 8.40. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Unanimous. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Um, enjoy the long weekend, and we will see you again on the 26th.